Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's time for a little afternoon combat, but we're still going to call it Morning Combat because we're just unoriginal. Hi, everyone. It's a Wednesday edition, the 14th of December, 2022. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a lot to get to today, including a fun little announcement at the top of the show. But first things first, I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by the man in the drug rug who's been playing Fortnite like it's been going out of style, which it has been. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian Campbell. <laughs> True fact, Luke. The new, the new season's spectacular, so I can't get off of it. But speaking of getting off, Luke, uh, I think the fans will today because this is a fantastic announcement to lead off, you know, a four-time award-winning fantastic program. So I'm happy to be back. I mean, Luke, it's 11 a.m. somewhere right now, right? You know? Uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, on the West Coast, it's 11 All right. So, you know, shout out to those to those uh, Cali kids out there, Luke. All right? Then let's let's get this done. Let's bet. Hey, Tui. Hey, hey, Tui, you know? Yeah. Let's, well, let's yeah. Bang. Well, yeah, I like that bad. some of the some of the people who have been looking on various forums about what this announcement might be. One of them that was that you and I were just going to bang, which is really an unoriginal. No, dude, I had idea. a guy, I had a guy DM me four separate times congratulating you on your transition. I'm like, you know, I mean that, that it's in play, but not the announcement we were uh, setting up. You know, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Uh, as always, if you're watching on YouTube, thumbs up and please hit subscribe if you haven't yet. For everyone who's new here, we do this three times a week, live 11 a.m. in the East. Typically, this is a little bit atypical because we had to rearrange some stuff for some personal uh, issues we had to resolve behind the scenes, but they're all done. So here we are. I uh, want to remind everyone, Showtime.com is the label that pays. You can get a 30-day free trial. And then after that, let me make sure I get the reading on this right. You get, I think, six months thereafter for $3.99 a month. Uh, I want to be very clear about this. Uh, the... This is for a free trial for new customers only. Obviously, terms apply. That's a hell of a deal. You get one month for free, and then you get six for basically three ninety nine. A lot of good stuff. Not just Bellator, not just boxing, but everything Showtime has to offer. Of course, the email to reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. And if you want Brian's drug rug or his hat or many other wonderful things we have at the store, you can go to morningcombat.store. Now, BC, we have one more ad read. Do you want to do the announcement first? And then no. the ad read or the ad read and then the announcement? You know, I'd like to keep the suspense brewing here, Luke. So why don't I tell you something right the hell? 15% off with promo code back-to-back. Did you see this, Luke? 
That's new. Today. I did not know. I did not know about that. Okay, well, today, to close out this ad read, is the last chance, folks, if you want to get morningcombat.store merch for your significant other for the Christmas holiday season. Hey, it might even work for Kwanzaa, too. I'll have to check the calendar. But hit the site today. Back to back is the promo code for 15% off today, the last chance before Christmas. You can buy your hubby one of these nubbies right here, Luke. All right, there you go very much. But, Luke, if you were going to ask me, BC, I mean, who is one of my favorite sponsors to work with? It's that little green magic powder, Luke, that I pour into an eight-ounce glass of water every morning that I literally use every single day. Why? Because I want better gut health, I want more energy, and I hate taking pills and vitamins. You know what I'm talking about, Luke Thomas? Yeah, it's healthy, but it doesn't have a super what, what you would call healthy taste. It's got what you would call a mild tropical taste. And wait, what's in it? You get one scoop, right? It's all you need, just one scoop. You get 75 high-quality uh, vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all the things you need to start your day the right way. I mean, look, folks, you get this nice water bottle, too. But the thing about it is this special blend of ingredients I mentioned helps your gut, helps your nervous system, your immune system, your recovery, your focus, aging. I can take it on the road with me one scoop per day. And it's like the Cliff's Notes version of being healthy. You want to make a little little, little, little side, uh, side slick move to try to get ahead of your own health? You want to protect your liver? Why don't you get up on this green magic dust that we got going on here, Luke? You can call it angel dust if you want. All right, don't call it that, but certainly it's, it's brought great. to you it's... by angels that 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 are looking out for your health, Luke. Okay, that's right. As BC mentioned, gut health and immune system and energy and recovery and focus. You can travel with it. It's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, contains less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs. No nasty chemicals or artificial anything. While still tasting pretty pretty good. Yeah, and you know what I like best about it, Luke Thomas? The price. Uh, less than $3 a day. And I know for people with watermelon vape or cold brew habits, they're already throwing money out the window, literally. Why don't you put that money toward building a new turn in your health life, okay? Because it's not just BC telling you about it. What are you going to do now when you hear that 7,000 people have given five-star reviews to Athletic Greens? What are you going to do now when you find out, yes, Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais, Joe Rogan, Towton AG1. Bitch. Rogan Tout AG1? Yeah. Doesn't sound I mean, short. look, that guy's like real healthy, Luke. I mean, you know, can AG1 affect your height? Probably not, but it's 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 powerful. Just the same, Luke. Here they go. The old height jokes. Uh, right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. You know what my real special announcement is today? AG1 works, and I want you to join the team, too. So go to athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat today. Make your first purchase, and here's what you're going to get. Five free travel packs, essential on the road. How about a year's, a year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D drops? I put them in the AG1 every morning. Just a little droplet, Luke. Fantastic. Gets me ahead of the game. You know what I'm saying? All right. For more information, go to athleticgreens.com slash morningcombat to take ownership over your health. And pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. All right, before we get to the top story we have, which of course we're going to preview the last UFC card of the year in just a minute, we've been teasing something of a big announcement. Now, BC, I have to tell you, I'm a, 
I'm, I'm very excited about what we're about to say. But when we when you teased the announcement and then I retweeted you, everyone was like, yo, did you guys win a billion dollars? Do you have a motherfucking time machine? It's like, okay, we don't have something to announce quite that special. Uh, <laughs> but we do have something we're pretty excited about. And so I believe I the, leading, of- the leading guesses were the show's moving to the Showtime Network proper. Luke and Brian have sex, which was previously uh, negotiated there. Or Chuck Mindenhall joins the show full time. I would have been down for two of those three, Luke. Okay, no yeah. offense to Chuck, but you know, two of those three would have been great. You know. <laughs> oh, that got me. That was a good one. Now, see, every once in a while, you have a legit, you have a legit banger. Uh, speaking of which, all right, but BC, we do have something very exciting to tell the folks, and I can think of no one to get them more maximally excited about it than you. So why don't you yeah. take the reins here and let the audience know what's about to happen? Well, Luke, let's start off this special announcement with a question. Luke Thomas, if I had to ask you, which part of this world, because MK's, you know, it's not just an American product, American made by Americans. This shit's gone global. Which part of this massive globe we live in, Luke, would you say are equally the most hardcore combat sports fans and the most passionate MK listeners put together, Luke? Do you have a location on the map? Well, it's definitely not Washington, D.C., I can tell yeah. you, it's not <laughs> definitely that. not the, your Thanksgiving uh, <laughs> dinner at your house. Yeah. That's for sure. Not, but not uh, the Thanksgiving table. No, it's not that either. Uh, you know what I'm going to say? And this is just a guess off the top of my head, BC. You could maybe argue Brazil, but I don't think so. A different language. I'm going to I'm going to say the UK. That's that's my answer. Am I am I on to this or not? You know, shout out the Australians, too. But the UK is on fire right now in all things combat sports. We know they love us over there. I'm an honorary Welshman. But, Luke, we're about to put our money where our mouth is. We're about to shit where we eat, if you will. How about MK hits the road in 2023? How about, folks, what are you doing February 8th through 12th in London, England, United Kingdom? Oh, I'll tell you right now what you're about to do because the sports podcast group, the same people that in calendar year 2022 named Morning Combat the best sports podcast in the globe, put billboards up in Liverpool and London. Well, the sports podcast group is having their inaugural podcast festival called Pod Live, February 8th through 12th at King's Place in London. And oh, by the way, guess who's headlining the Moon Tower Festival this year? It's your boys, BC and LT, Morning Combat, the multi-time award-winning podcast, is headlining Pod Live, and in particular, Wednesday night, February 8th, 8 p.m. local time in London at King's Place, located in the King's Cross section of that great city. We will be putting on a live show in front of 500 spectators, bringing the MK to the UK. Luke Thomas, this has been a long time coming. We've been sitting on this news, but all the contracts are signed. Brother, we're going overseas. You know what I'm talking about here? This is the big time. This is it, folks. This is it. This is the one. If you're a UK fan, maybe if you're Ireland-based or somewhere in that area, maybe even other parts of Europe, if you're in France, hello, David Appleton, or Spain, or whatever, you're in that in a nearby area, this is it. This is MK going to the UK, headlining a pod festival, and of course, it's going to be me and BC. We might do a little wheel spinning. We might do some games. We're also going to have big guests that are going to join us live on stage at this event. You can get your tickets now. Of course, you can use the promo or excuse me, the QR code if you're watching on the screen for February 8th at King's Place in London. 
But beyond that, beyond that, I just want folks to know, I don't know if we'll ever go back to the UK. I would love to go back to the UK regularly. What a wonderful place it is. How great this show is going to be. But for all we know, this is the grand opening, grand closing. This is the chance, if you're in this part of the world, to come experience the magic with us, with our guests, and everything else we have planned. We have been having this in the works for some time. We couldn't announce it until now. BC and I are beyond excited about this opportunity. It's going to be huge fun, and we really, really, really want you to join us. We're looking to sell 500 seats for this event. Like Luke mentioned, we're going to have some big-time combat sports guests that you'll know all too well, and this will be a fun variety show. I don't know the liquor laws in that area, Luke, but I hope we'll be feeling these margaritas, Brian Campbell. <laughs> Let's let loose. Let's open-mouth kiss all of our U.K. listeners so, Luke, as you mentioned, hey, Appy, hey, why don't you swim that English channel? Why don't you get across there and find out what the MK boys are like in person? Uh, hopefully we can have a restraining order present just in case. But, Luke, to be fair, though, to be honest, I've never been to London, England, the UK, yeah. any of that. Excited to make my first visit. Couldn't be more pumped up to do it under the auspices of the MK going global because we got passionate fans in Ireland and the UK. So this gives them the chance. Wednesday, February 8th, 8 o'clock London time, in the evening, come on down. You can meet us. We'll have an interactive show, uh, bring you up on stage, answer your questions, whatever we got to do, Luke. This is going to be fun. I'm fired the hell up. Yeah, this is going to be great. I'm very excited about it. I'm already seeing some complaints from the American viewers. <laughs> about the nature of this announcement well what do you want us to do the folks over on the other side of the pond so to speak never get a chance to experience any of this kind of stuff we've done yeah. two shows live in vegas but one was kind of like a trial run the other one i kind of ruined so this is like the official thing this is the real one everything planned i want to be very clear about this guests along with us it won't just be me and brian doing you know uh armpit fart noises although we probably will do that as well but on top of that guests we will probably take q a's we'll do all kinds of stuff around it get your tickets now for london february 8th king's place mk goes to the uk and if you're looking at that qr code on the screen a reminder put your phone right up to it all right buy your tickets right now uh this is a small venue it's a fantastic one it's a well-known musical venue in these parts i mean it's not the royal albert hall luke but it's pretty damn close here so shout out to the sbg the sports podcast group but you can buy your tickets now get your pounds together okay because somebody's got to pay patty to show up on our show you know what i'm saying luke yeah i don't think he's coming i don't think he's coming i would i would i would maybe we'll pay maybe we'll pay ariel to come on that'd be a nice ironic reverse right Hey, I'd, I'd be all right with that. But um, all right, you get the idea. So we'll be promoting this basically now until then. As we get more information about all the other things involved with the show, we'll tell you. But if you're in London or you can make it to London, we will see you on February 8th. It will be a very good time. All right. Um, yeah, super exciting. So BC, with that, are you ready to get the show started? I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Hey, hey, Mike Owens, wake up over there in Liverpool, all right? You're, let's do this thing, okay? Let's yeah, and go. I don't want to yeah. hear like, oh, I couldn't make it because my dog had AIDS that day. It's like, guys, this is it. <laughs> hey, this folks, it. we're never coming back, okay? This is the only chance you get. I'm not all saying right? we're there never coming back, but like in all the years I've done this, this is my first time being sent over to the UK for work-related activities. Don't know when it's going to happen. It took 15 years. It might take another 15 before it happens for a second time. So just can't take it for granted. This is the one. Make it out to London, folks. Come see us. All right. BC, with that in mind, 
Let's go back to Las Vegas, at least in our minds, for UFC Vegas 66. The last UFC event, UFC event, excuse me, of the year. Your headlining bout for this contest, of course, Jared Cannonier, fresh off his loss at UFC 276, takes on Sean Strickland, also fresh off his loss at UFC 276. BC, when I ask you what Cannonier versus Strickland about, yes, it's two guys who need to get a win. They're also ranked middleweights. Is that the sum total of the whole thing? No, I mean, I think, you know, on the surface, it's certainly for two guys coming off of very big losses, one for the title, one essentially a de facto number one contender. It's it's who can hold, serve, and remain in the title picture. But obviously, Luke, with the upset of Alex Pereira over Israel Adesanya, yeah, I hope we get a rematch between those two. But with a new champion, after one has been so dominant, I think this springs new life for this particular matchup because who knows who will be in possession of that championship after the winner of this fight advances on. But anytime you switch up after one guy on top for a long time, it regenerates the matchups. It gives everybody an opportunity to feel alive again like their title window just reopened. Well, how about this matchup here? Stylistically, I love it. But I think more in particular, I've got to see where Sean Strickland's at because he'll even admit it after the fact that style-wise, game plan-wise, what he did against Poetan was... You know, ill-advised at best, sort of running out there into the center of uh, the street and oncoming traffic and trying to play Frogger and dodge those vehicles left and right. Uh, You know, they got one-way trips to hell for people that are willing to risk that when they don't necessarily have that game to back that up. Strickland's game, as we know, is entirely different than the version of him that came out there looking to make a big statement against Alex Pereira. I want to see whether he bounces back because, Luke, even if Izzy regains the title... We've heard from Izzy directly in interviews where he said, you know, I may not be as done with middleweight as people think, and the one guy I haven't fought that I've wanted to is Sean Strickland. Could you imagine a scenario in which Izzy regains that championship and Strickland's coming off a big win? So there's no shortage of big stakes here, but I think really the pressure's on Sean Strickland to come back and show us really who he was supposed to be in that fight. A different matchup, but still a guy in Cannoneer where you make a mistake you're going to be looking up there at the lights. And uh, from that regard, Luke, I want to see just how good Sean Strickland really is because if he drops the ball in this opportunity, it could be a while, if at all, before he ever gets back there. Also, something to think about, we look at their current rankings position, BC. Again, this is currently as it stands. Of course, it could change or whatever, uh, but... Oh, I guess it won't change before the next voting round. But this is where it stands as I do this broadcast. Number three would be Jared Cannonier, so he's ranked third. And number seven is Sean Strickland. So Sean Strickland, interestingly, even though he got blown out by Pereira, he could find himself within the top three, certainly within the top five, depending on how this goes. So he gets right back to the top. And one thing I would add on top of that, BC, is, listen, Jared Cannonier is a guy who, over time, not only got better, but he got smaller, right? Started at heavyweight then down to light heavyweight, and now he's at middleweight. And that journey has been fascinating to watch, and I think the results have been largely, obviously, quite positive as he has gotten smaller. But, BC, it took a lot of time for him to sort of figure out what worked best for him and where he was most competitive. He's now 38 years of age. Now, he does appear to be in excellent shape at 38 years of age. I'm not in any way saying that he's washed or it's over for him, although he did have something of a lackluster performance, I think it's fair to say against Izzy at UFC 276, and then you could say Izzy also had a lackluster one, but you get the idea. It wasn't like the strongest performance. But I do think Sean Strickland at 31 years of age is also at a, port, part, uh, a moment here in his career where if he beats 
Cannoneer. He gets to go, in all likelihood, back inside the top five, just 31 years of age, to the point that Izzy raised. Strickland might be around for a little while longer as a top guy giving other top guys problems. You know, he may win or lose, but certainly he'll be in that space. For Cannoneer, if he loses here, this by itself wouldn't say that it's over for him. I don't think two losses to Izzy and then Sean would be the kind of thing that completely changes the narrative. But you would wonder if you do lose this one against Sean Strickland and you are 38 years of age, it's going to be really hard to find yourself back into a point where you're contending for a title in this weight class, especially with Whitaker hanging in the wings, Izzy hanging in the wings, a lot of other Hamzat Chemayev coming up. For, for a guy like Cannoneer, if he wants to hold position, you must hold the line on Saturday, period. Luke, Luke let me ask you a question about Cannoneer here because this recent run, once he established himself uh, as a middleweight and quickly became elite, it goes back to 2018, right? He had had back-to-back losses at light heavyweight, then moved down once more. His only defeats, he's 5-2 and two since 2018, have come against arguably, you know, two of the greatest three middleweights in this company's history in Adesanya and Whitaker. But when you look at what didn't happen in that five-round bout, in which, look, looking back, I predicted Cannonier could pull the upset. I thought this was the right guy, right mindset, right style at the right time. What I saw in that fight, unfortunately, was a guy who got close, who set his traps well, but really was unable to risk it all to come over the top and try and dramatically win that. Because it seemed to be a slight failure to launch against, you know, one of the greatest fighters in history, to be fair here, that seems correctable. Meaning, I wasn't worried about Cannoneer's age over the past year or so. Your your point on this could be his last chance if he fall, loses this and falls out of the rankings is pure and true. But is it possible in your eyes that Cannoneer can recalibrate from what he didn't do against Adesanya? And if he wins this against Strickland, could be right back there and you know, as unlikely as it sounds, isn't out of the question that this guy could still wear the belt one day. You you feel any of that's true? Um, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Can't dismiss it. Can't say it's not in play. Can't say it's something that would seem so unrealistic as to dismiss it. That I think that would be wrong. I, I wouldn't say that. He does have big power. That's a big that's a big game changer for him. He's got a lot of good experience to this point. Um, but I sort of feel like, I mean, this is just my hunch, right? So I don't know this. So my roundabout way of answering your question would be, I feel like Cannoneer is still very dangerous and might be able to maintain position to a degree. But I feel like the best of what he was able to offer is likely, not affirmatively, but likely in the past. So, well, what if like I reframed it? To... What if I reframed his history of losing like this and just tell you this? We all know he did lose a, a, to Whitaker, but suffered a serious injury in the opening round and then hurt Whitaker in the final round. And, you know, for all we know, Luke, I want to make sure I, my memory tells me that was a three round fight. It was at UFC 254. Had that been a five round fight, who knows, right? I mean, he did have an opening. He had a moment. He nearly was able to capitalize. Against Adesanya, you have to look back in that and say, okay, the right man won. But what I'm trying to ask you through that long-winded setup is, is could he just be a couple adjustments away? Meaning, Izzy told you in that sit-down that you got to give Cannonier credit because he did prepare well technically to, to, to try to slow Izzy down and, and, and got close, meaning distance-wise, got close, put himself in position to potentially land a big shot. But, you know with how good Izzy is and how quickly he can counter and accurately, I felt like 
unfortunately, Jared didn't take the risk that he needed to. Does it, it could it be one adjustment and he's right? Or do you need him in general to almost say, look, you're a very good fighter, but against the championship level guys, if you can't out chess them, you might as well lean on that power. You might as well stay a dangerous counter fighter who's never out of it. Like, is there a slight adjustment that could lift him to the top is really what I'm trying to say here. Cause I love the guy. I love his mindset, his fighting style, but I was disappointed with that out of Sonny effort to be fair with you. I mean, he tried to play chess with a guy who's better at playing chess, but it's not like he performed. He performed in a very disappointing, ultimately, as what the fan might tell you, kind of boring way. But it wasn't like the difference level in decision making was like radically far apart. In fact, the reason why the fight was was viewed the way that it was is by virtue of the fact that there wasn't a huge separation. There was a consistent separation, but not a massive one over time. Like he is, he was better, but not like. He wasn't styling on him. He wasn't stunting on him. That kind of that, that that wasn't there. Here's why I think Cannoneer is at. Like, dude, he trains with a really good team. Like, they had him ready for Izzy in as much as he could be ready. And the thing you're talking about is like his physical skills, his big power. He's always had big power, even at heavyweight. It's certainly a problem for fo- most folks, anyway, at middleweight. But at 38, the reality is this: Could he change a couple of things? to get some better results. I do think he could. Yes, there are a couple of things he could change. But I also think everything has its pluses and its minuses. There might be some net benefit to changing things to more orient his strategy around his power. But I think if he did that, he'd be making some mistakes on the other side that still wouldn't change his fortunes against the Whitakers, against the Izzies, potentially against the Hamzats, who knows, and potentially against, although, you know, against Pereira, they, he might get the takedown there, so that could be kind of interesting there. But certainly against the other two, I don't, I don't really see any meaningfully small or large adjustment he could make that would, that would substantively alter his fortunes against those guys. Does that answer the question? I, I, I guess, I guess. Maybe I'm a little higher I mean, you, still you might disagree, you. which Maybe is I'm fine, but that's how I see it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at this matchup, Luke, do you have the odds in front of you? Because this is a big fight. Uh, which way is Vegas leaning? Yeah, I'll tell you right now. So for what we have, UFC Vegas 66, for this one, they, <laughs> our friends at Caesars, how about a pick em, folks? Minus 110 in either direction. Does that surprise you, BC? No, I, I was going to try to go as far as saying I, I feel like Cannoneer should be favored in this one based on how I view their stocks. But with Strickland being the, the younger, somewhat fresher fighter to a certain degree, who was coming on before that, that bad turn against Pereira, which I, I kind of look at in a lot of ways as his fault, a pick is not unfair in this spot, in my opinion. So, you know, for Luke, mindset-wise coming in for Sean Strickland, is is it just essentially, you know, Forget the Poetan fight ever happened and go back to being the guy who you were along this journey? I don't understand. Just be Sean Strickland. Oh, oh, so, okay, well, hold on, let's back up a step here. Do you, this is why I didn't understand. Do you believe that the Sean Strickland we saw at 276 was a departure from who he was? Yes, I believe that Ooh, he okay. was willing so, to okay. hang in the pocket and had designs of potentially getting Poetan before he got him and trying to make a big statement, knowing he was right around the corner from a title shot. And let's not forget at that press conference two days before or whatever, he was heavily trash talking Izzy. And it was almost as if we were setting up that as the next fight. That's interesting. I thought that that was 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I thought it was the very much the wrong strategy. I think even his coaches <laughs> would tell you that was not the right strategy. I'm told that's not what they had game planned or had advised him. You know, and he's his own man. He's going to fight the way he wants. And I think he's talked about it since then, being like, yeah, that's, I, I'm really happy with the way I, I thought I would do it again. So take that for what it's worth. I don't see that as a radical departure from who he is. In fact, I see that as not exactly who he has always been in other fights. That's true. But I don't see that as some kind of, like, genuine departure, just another version of it. I think in this case, you got a big puncher. I mean, here's what the reality is. We'll talk more about this on Friday as we get to X's and O's, BC. But if you look at the fights that Sean Strickland has lost, so he got finished by Pereira, he lost to Elizu Zaleski Dos Santos, and Kamar Usman. Now, the Kamar Usman one involved a lot of takedowns and then ground a pound. Um, and then Santiago Ponzinibbio as well, right? Uh, he, he lost a unanimous decision there. Those were all cases where he was numerically outstruck. And you have to think about that, right? Like, what, what's the significance there? The significance there is he's a volume guy himself. He, has a, he lands at a very high clip. We'll get to the numbers on Friday. He lands at a very high clip. And if he can't get that going, that's when he gets into problems. Now, in the case of um, Pereira, you know, he also got outlanded, partly because he, got, he ate huge shots and then some follow-up uh, thereafter. But you get the idea here. So the question you have to ask yourself is, okay, can Sean Strickland out volume over the course of five rounds, including with very good takedown defense if he needs it, Jared Cannonier? Almost certainly that's true. But the people who have beaten him in Usman, as I'm going to say it again, Pereira, I think he got dropped against um, somebody else as well. Oh, yeah, Dos Santos, he got finished off, I believe. Yep, he sure did. And then he lost to Ponzinibbio. Could a big puncher getting through his defense just make short work of him anyway. That's the kind of thing you have to answer. Like, it almost seems certain that Sean Strickland will do what he did before, march down and try to put volume in your face all the time. That's what he does. The question is, is a big puncher like Cannoneer able to take advantage of it in the ways that Dos Santos and Pereira were able to? Fair. That's fair. Um, And, and I, I, I didn't want to make it seem like Strickland was completely, I mean, he was different. I mean, like, you're right. His style is to pressure you, high volume, constantly be in your face, annoying, harassing, break you down, break your will. It's just that you certainly wouldn't want to be as brazen against somebody like Poetan. And I just feel like, you know, from what I saw was a guy that was almost reckless in doing that, trying to make his own statement he couldn't. So those same sort of fears on executing a style like that when you're not the biggest striker against someone like Cannoneer is certainly going to have to be there. We'll get into the breakdowns you mentioned more on Friday, but that's something interesting to think about for both of them based on what didn't go right in their most recent losses, which was, you know, huge opportunity and how they can adapt that here. I want two hungry fighters going after it for five rounds, Luke. I think this could end up being a, a very interesting fight the way it plays out. I think it could be really, really boring up until it's not. That's what I think. In other words, I think when it's all said and done, we won't be like, oh, that sucked. I do think there's going to be long stretches where that might be the case. And then punctuated moments of action when Jared Cannonier lowers the boom on him. And whether he wins or not, I do think that will have a role uh, in terms of how we view the fight. Now, BC, I would be lying to you if I told you that the main event was the one I cared about the most on, the, on this card in terms of all the fights. Not even close. It is the co-main to me that has me by far, by far, by far, by far, by far, the most motivated and interested, and if I'm being honest, a little nervous. 
Armin Saryukian takes on Demir Ismogulov. In terms of the rankings, BC, Ismogulov sitting at 12, Saryukian sitting at 9. And there might be some casual fans who watch the show, and maybe you've heard of neither. Maybe you've only ever heard of Saryukian. BC, here's how I would set this up. Tell me if I'm missing anything. Saryukian was a guy who came in on his UFC debut fought Islam Makachev, took him to a decision, fought him tooth and nail. You know, it was his UFC debut. How good was it going to be? He ultimately succumbed to, I think, a decision loss. But, you know, certainly held his own. And you can even talk to people in Makachev's camp. They were very impressed by Saryuki. And then after that, went on a roll for a bit. But had a bit of a setback most recently against Muteus Gamrot. Got a little bit outworked in that fight. And his striking hasn't come along very far, even though I think he's only 25 years old. Here's the problem for me with this matchmaking. Demir Ismogulov is a motherfucking hammer. Okay, folks? He has an outrageously good jab, very good striking, very good striking defense, and upwards of 90% takedown defense against people who can wrestle, by the way. This is not the fight, if I was managing Saryukian, that I would have taken after the Gamrot fight. BC, do you like this fight for Saryukian as he is considered a minus 180 favorite, according to Caesars, or am I on to something? No, I mean, look, this is, <laughs> this is badass matchmaking on his regard. But what we learned in those two defeats to two great, not very good, great fighters in Mahachev and Gamrot is that he's pretty darn close. He's of their ilk and of their class, despite losing close fights in both instances, that in some cases, a different fighter with maybe different tells in terms of what their true vulnerability might be, I would be a little bit nervous. I'm not in this case. Um, I think that there, there's a statement that, that Saryukin's been trying to make for a, for a while, and I think he's only going to sharpen himself from those two defeats, and obviously most recently the Gamrot one. And as much as this is like, damn, you're going from one killer to the other, I don't think a guy like this is going to stop until he makes that statement. I like him as the favorite. I hear your concern just the same. But, Luke, as much as you like, and let me get this. I got I to gotta learn this in real time. Demir Ismogulov. I'll never get it wrong again. That's Ismogulov correct, right? is a little bit easier Damn. to say. I have no idea if that's correct, but it's easier to say. Ismogulov is on some kind of run himself, just that one loss in 2015 all the way back before the UFC. And is, I mean, he's won something like 10 in a row, Luke. Just it, won all of his UFC fights and has looked great. But this allows Armin Saryukin, if he can get a win here, to almost, in my opinion, act as if those two losses didn't mean, you know, weren't as damaging as they could have been. Meaning, we learned so much great about him in both fights. He believes in himself. I haven't seen anything in either loss. They were just two close fights with two hammers going after it. And let's not forget, again, it was his UFC debut when he caught Makachev in there. But uh, I'm not nervous here, Luke. I, I want. I don't. My my only fear, of course, long term, is that when when someone is so close. Think Dan Hooker, like so close to being great, but can't get over that hump. And it's like, just keep taking on hard fights and end up being desperate. And in Hooker's case, he's taken on a lot of damage to get there. I don't think that's exactly applicable in this case. I think Saryukin's going to have his moment on top. And I almost applaud his willingness to come back out once again against another hammer because he believed so much in himself that he's the biggest hammer of the group that you're right. If this is your must-see fight of the weekend, Luke, of the card... You know, I, it's right up there for me. I mean, does it, you know, I mean, Cheyenne Vlismas coming back is like Christmas like, in these parts, okay? I mean, let's be very fair, all right? Prelims main event on ESPN+, Plus, super sloppy special. 
hey Roman, we're just fans of the art. Okay, that's it at the end of the day. Okay, uh, so don't don't turn that hammer of the month back on me, Delizé. But here, you get my thing. point, dude. Here's the thing about this. This is what's happened a little bit for me from my perspective. Listen, Saryukian's Armenian. My mother was Armenian. Like I am, like I'm, I'm a mark for him. I'm really excited about his future. And don't get me wrong. I think he will have a very good future, but we've talked about a couple of things in in the fight sports that I think are intersecting here. One is that if you don't get a guy's development right, you can fuck it up. You can fuck it up real bad. Again, if I were advising and if I were managing Saryukian, he's his own man, of course. He's going to do what he wants to do. I would have not. I would have. De- I would have told him to decline this fight. I really would have. I would have said yes. Maybe he can win it. Maybe in fact he'll win it. Like it's, I'm not. I'm not saying decline it because you can't win it. I'm saying decline it because you're working on your development and you don't need to take this kind of risk at this juncture, especially just what happened against Mateus Gamrot. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is we have to be careful about our own biases here a little bit. Ismogulov has not had the kind of promotional push or the kind of fevered interest around him that Saryukian has. Even when Saryukian lost to Gamrot, remember those scrambles in the first couple of rounds that those two guys were having? You just haven't seen anything like that at lightweight in MMA ever, ever. Like these guys, the Ismogulovs, the Gamrots, the Kutateladzes, the Saryukians, and I can name other ones, the Joel Alvarezes, all that shit. All those guys are on their way up to get ready to push out the rest of that weight class. So like they're all going to move up eventually. But Ismogulov is, I'm going to be very clear about this, criminally underrated. Criminally underrated because he doesn't have the same celebrated, fevered interest around him. Not because he's not good. Dude, the tape on him is very clear. But because he just isn't that guy. And I worry that there's a lot of people being like, oh, well, so Yukin's really great. He might get past it. Dude, he just might. Like, again, I'm not predicting failure, but it's risky. It's super risky to take this fight right now. And I don't okay, know if it's a dude, good idea. It- wasn't Gamrot a, a, a pick You know, looking back, it was 48-47 across all three scorecards for Gamrot. But I remember pe- people feeling like that could have gone either way, correct? Yes. In fact, I scored it for Saryukian. I don't have these fears because when, when I have these fears about someone being too aggressive with their matchmaking, it typically connects with the amount of damage they've taken in those losses mixed with the perceived vulnerabilities about their backbone, their chin, their you know overall ability to to uh, to stay healthy and 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 stay elite. I mean, look, you know, when Dan Hooker's and was losing these super elite fights and putting out great performances, but going life or death with Dustin Poirier for twenty five minutes, I do feel like it's a little bit different in this case. Luke Saryukin is is like that close to showing us that. Moneyline can send him that gimmick in the mail right now that he's like, <laughs> you know, of this ilk of this new generation of Eastern European dominant takeover. He has the medal. He has, you know, it, from what I've seen, everything. And and I, and I get what you're saying. Like, okay, that's great. But Iskamugalov, Iskimu, uh, let me, can I get that right, Luke? Um, Eskimo brothers. Ismogulov is also uh, of that ilk. But, Luke, you know, what does a victory do here for Armin Saryukian? Uh, again, I said it earlier. It, 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 to me, it acts as if the Gamrot fight didn't happen, right? Because we learned so much good about Saryukian in ultimately a loss. But, you know, in the larger picture, is it a loss? It's rare. I think it's rare that I can be this optimistic in this type of scenario because I feel like Armand Saryukian has some of that rare metal that's going around right now, okay? But to the oh, point that you made earlier, shout out to Armenians. 
Um, unfortunately, Edmund Shabazian didn't take Coach Edmund with him on this relaunch, Luke, speaking of Armenians. I don't yeah, know if you caught no, him. Listen, not every defense. Armenian is built for it, uh, but, but many of them are. Uh, they've been right. watching the World Weightlifting Championships. They've been kicking ass there a little bit, too. So, anyway, the point I want to make here is this on this one. You're asking, like, what is our uh, sorry you can get out of it? I actually feel like he gets out of it a lot because even though he's ranked ninth and Ismagulov is ranked 12th, so that by itself wouldn't meaningfully improve his rankings position if Saryukin were to win. The reason why I think it'd be really, really important, BC, is for two reasons. One, the question is, like, if he does win, how does he do it? So the one option could be if he wrestles him for the course of, it's only a three-round fight, not a five, um, gets it done because he can really maximally power his wrestling for 15 minutes against a guy like Ismogulov who has faced good fighters, like not bullshit ones, good ones, and has upwards of, actually, I think he has, all, he has higher than 90% takedown defense. I think it's like close to 95, right? We're talking that kind of level of skill. It would show me that there's virtually no one in that division he can't take down, right? That would be very, very impressive. On the other hand, if it's a little bit more striking-based, one of the things that we did see against Gamrot in other fights previously is that his striking is certainly getting better fight over fight, but it's not nearly as caught up to the, his wrestling and his grappling game in the other way. It's got a lot of work. And plus, I think the submissions in the ground and pound game of Soryukin could do some work. So to beat a guy like Ismogulov, to me, that says quality of win, and you, people are going to laugh at this. That, to me, is as quality of win as you're going to get in the top five. I really mean that. I, exactly. I have a, I have a very so, high opinion of Ismogulov. I think you misinterpreted me saying what you know what's at stake. I was saying it almost like... Uh, you know, what's at stake, a, a chance to act like those losses didn't happen because this guy's so good and he's already shown Saryukian in two losses against super elites how good he is. I hear your point on completely well-rounding his game, but Luke, considering how close he got with Gamera but, couldn't, but didn't get over the hump, do you need him to be a little bit more, not reckless, but intentional and in inflicting damage? Yeah. Wait, you're talking about Ismogulov or Saryukian? What he no, needs I'm talking to about Saryukian because you were talking yeah. about uh, about the striking not fully being up to par in the wrestling. Yeah, it's a little bit more basic with the combos and then the shot selection, which is understandable, right? He is trying to get better at that. You have to be understanding. And to be clear, like there's very clear progress on that front. I feel like one, there needs to be better ground and pound because if you're going to get the wrestling, really make good use of it. And by the way, he doesn't have bad ground and pound. But it could be better, right? It could be better. So I think that's part of it. And then on the feet, he's just got to get way more comfortable with range, a little less tolerant of taking damage, um, better combinations, better uh, you know situational awareness. And these things take time. They just take time. It's not like you can do it automatically. It's not like you can do it overnight. You got to work on it. That's why after the Gamrot fight, I thought, okay, dial it back a little bit. And here's the other part, too, about making this fight, right? Let's just be honest. Dude, how many guys want to fight Armin Saryukian? Not fucking many. And how many want to fight Demir Ismagulov? Not many, dude. I bet a gazillion people have turned down either of them. They don't want any of that smoke. So credit to both these guys for wanting it. But I just think there needs to be a little bit more slickness, intentionality, and I think there needs to be a certain layered uh, uh, nature to the striking of Saryukin, whereas now it's a little bit like it's almost robotic. and Not robotic, it's a little bit dismissive. But it's just a little bit, it's fundamental, but that's all that it is. Like, you definitely want to have the fundamentals. You, you win with the fundamentals, plus the slickness and everything else added on top over time. It's that extra that I'm looking for that he needs to build. And against Ismogulov, it's going to get tested. Make no mistake.
All right, you got me fired up. I'm ready. I'm in on All this, right. Luke. This, BC, any this other is... fight on this card that really stands out to you? I got to tell you, there's a few. Alex Caceres, it's not Caceres, it's Caceres, taking on Julian Arosa. Juicy J, that's a super fun one between the two of them. How about Drew Dober versus Bobby Green? Which ones do you that. like on this card? I love the bank potential. I mean, my my true super sloppy special, not that I think technique-wise it's going to be sloppy, but from the standpoint of just action is that lightweight bout Drew Dober, Drew Dober versus Bobby Green. I think Luke both, you know, both could use a big convincing win in this case and the best way to get that is to go out guns blazing based on their preferences and histories to do so. So I expect action. But Luke can you when we're talking about the featured prelim card on the ESPN Plus card in that 115 division, can you humor me at all about one 27-year-old Cheyenne Flismus who you know, we thought was going to fight. Um, what's her name from Brazil, Luke? That fight Tabitha fell apart. Ricci, I thought she was Tabitha Ricci, and has been you know middling to a certain degree on this lower prelim, early prelim level. Three or sorry, two and one in the UFC. Also had a victory in the Dana White's Contender Series. The only loss was that decision to Montserrat, which had that famous trash talk and nastiness back and forth. But we have seen Cheyenne be explosive. That that head kick finished two fights ago was fantastic. Uh, you know, outside of the ridiculousness and, and all that and J.P. Bays and all the drama, she's a real fighter underneath there. Has she put on enough wrinkles, though, in the fight game and added enough? And it's not like this opponent here, uh, in terms of the challenge in, in, in Corey, McKinney should, Corey McKenna, should be a good one. But I'm not talking about, you know, top five, top seven here. How good is Cheyenne Blissmith, Luke? Because I have a feeling, along with that fighting spirit, that she's starting to put it together. But I'm prepared if you need to rain on my parade. I mean, you know, no, Roman will be listening. Raining. I'm not interested in raining. It's a good question. Like, how good Roman will be this? listening, so watch your back. But my point <laughs> is this, Luke. Is it just that I love the uh, the factory town spirit here out of Cheyenne, or is there a real fighter under there? I think it's probably some of that. I also feel like she puts together, like most of her wins are via decision, which I think a lot of people say is something of a negative, and it can be for any fighter who has mostly decisions over mostly finishes, although that's that's actually a lot of fighters that, that way. But I mean like predominantly, like almost exclusively that. But what I would also tell you is like someone who can do that pretty consistently can put together a complete performance, right? Or some version of a complete performance, a complete enough certainly through the course of 15 minutes at a pretty consistent level. You have to have, you know, respectively well-rounded skills to do that. I also would, would point out, BC, she doesn't even have 10 MMA fights. She's 27 years old. She's only got nine MMA fights. Like, to answer your question, dude, we don't even know. We don't even know. We don't, we're not even, this is not Patty, who I think is also 27, but has been fighting for a decade, right? He's got 20 plus fights, nearly 25 fights. I mean, that's a lot of experience. That's a lot of tape. That's sort of getting a composite sketch of someone. Nine fights? Nine fights and only, what, two in the, three in the UFC, the one lost to uh, Ruiz? That's it, and we just don't have a clear sense of things. She did get a finish in the in the not the last one, but the one prior to that. So it was nasty, yes. right, right, right. And that was that, against Gloria DePaul. Uh, DePaul, excuse me. And that's a great performance too. So my answer to you is, we have seen respectable well well roundedness, not th- that one fight, notwithstanding, not a ton of lethality through the course of it. But the caveat is, twenty seven years old, a complete total of nine pro fights. We just got to wait and see how much better she gets. That's really the honest-to-God answer. Are you surprised, though, if it ends up going out this way? Right now, this is the way it's set up on Wikipedia, that this is the featured bout uh, of the prelims on ESPN Plus against Corey McKenna. Are you surprised that Vlismas is getting this type of shine, though? I mean, just 
Just three UFC fights up to this point. Not necessarily. Uh, this is a hot division, right? Women's 115 is the best one of the three. There's a lot of new faces in this weight class. They're trying to sort of jockey for position to get up there. The UFC putting a little bit of featuring behind that, I think, makes some sense, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, you know, there's always going to be heavyweights on the main card and everyone's going to groan, but the reality is this division, it does it. Uh, how should I say this? It's like, you know what it reminds me of, BC? I'm being dead serious. It reminds me... At, not quite at the same stage where the barbarians at 155 are at the gate, right? They're already banging on the gate. They're banging on the door, right? The guys like Ismagulov and we mentioned him, Saryukin and all those guys, the Gamrats, they're already there. At 115, the barbarians are not at the gate yet for the top of that division. That's not quite true, but there is so much talent in this division that it needs effective promotion and good matchmaking to help sort everything that's coming and going. Giving that a featured slot, in my view, is important. So 115 is not at the same as one men's 155 in terms of the contenders surging, but I don't think they're far behind. I do think there's going to be a class that's going to graduate in the next few years that's going to begin to take over that top five. Is Vlismas part of that? We don't know. Saturday will help us give, a, give us a better answer. Yeah, final question regarding... Um... Uh, the warrior princess here, Luke. Her and Roman, uh, where are they fitting in on your uh, MMA power couple pound for pound rankings at the moment? It's a crowded field. Uh, you know, uh, Nina and Amanda have been my number one, but let's give a shout out to Rocky and Tisha, Luke. They they are uh, baby on the way here uh, in that couple. So shout out to them starting a family. Um, Who's carrying? You know, uh, Tisha is. Tisha is okay. Uh, you um... know, they're. There's a few of them out there, Luke, these power couples. Sometimes they break yeah. up, though. This is I a remember... thing that, that, that captures your attention. This is not a thing yeah. that captures mine. All right. All right. That, that's, I guess that's fair. Uh, Luke, also we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Bantamweight Saeed Nurmagomedov coming yeah. back. Um, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce his opponent's name. I'd love if you could, though. But, you know, it's the question that I think we ask in light of the hammer takeover of late in general, but also in light of, you know, in this Nurmagomedov extended family from Coach Habib to Usman to Islam Machev, who's basically, you know, uh, another brother or cousin in that group, even if he's not officially related. Umar is coming on. Is Saeed coming on? I mean, there's got to be a Frank Stallone in the group, a Tito Jackson. There's got to eventually be somebody who's just average, Luke. Yeah, I think this is the one that's on the outs with the rest of the family. Right, so he's a little bit by himself in that regard. I think this is the one that's like that. Um, but the other opponent. So my understanding is, whenever you see a K and an H together, that's the back of the throat huh sound. Huh. Uh, like I have a my a buddy of mine. And this is true, not just in in. This is true in several languages, by the way. Like in Farsi, it's true. So whenever you see a K and H together, that should be the huh. But we don't do that for Habib either. We kind of just call it. We kill the uh, the K and just say the H. So I'm gonna say Kaframanov. Kaframanov. Kakarmanov, something like that, is the opponent here for Nurmagomedov. Um, but that's the best I can do. To answer the question, yeah, he doesn't exactly appear to be quite on the level as the rest of the Nurmagomedovs, but I don't have much more to say than that. I mean, he did he did come off a uh, victory over uh, Silva de Andrade, that absolute jack dude. He yeah, he's submitted built, he's Cody. Like St a motherfucker. Submitted Cody Stamen. I know he's got that one uh, loss in the UFC, a decision loss to Hani Barcelos, but. Um, all right, so we don't have to be like, uh, we'll put him a peg down, right? I mean, like, remember yeah. that Von Eric brother, the real small one? 
I don't know if he's like like you know Chris Von Eric level. That's a little insulting. Maybe more like Mike Von Eric level, right? Yeah, yeah, um, right, something like yeah. that. Okay. Anything else on this card, BC? You want to move on? Good preview there. Um, you oh, know, when Julian you look- Marquez versus Duran wins on this card. Duran win. He might need a win here if he wants to stay in the UFC. It's yeah, this is an important. He one. might be going back to Golden Boy MMA, Luke, if he doesn't pull this off. I mean, also, it's Jake hard Matthews- when you're. When you're four foot eleven, Luke, it's hard to know what division to get into, right? I mean, it's rough. I mean, that's that's a little strong. That's a little strong, BC. That's a little strong. Uh, also, Jake Matthews looking amazing in his last fight, taking on uh, the DC area's Matthew Semmelsberger. That should be a that should be a win for Matthews. Let me see the odds on that one. Our friends over at Caesars, they have that one. Oh yeah, they've got Matthews as a minus two sixty. That sounds about right to me. And Duran Wynn, by the way, is a plus 140 against a minus 165 for Julian Marquez. So this is a tough one. This is a tough one. All right. Let's talk about Francis Ngannou. And let's talk about free agency because we appear to have a bit of an update, BC. So our friend John Nash, at HeyNotTheFace on Twitter, he had an important update. Let's go tweet by tweet here, NBC, and then we'll get your reaction here. Actually, you can, you can work with me the whole way. We have a series of pictures here. I'm going to read to you what he says on the tweet, and we're going to look at the picture. Quote, I think Francis, or Ngannou in this case, might already be a free agent, BC. A quick thread. He's going to be using excerpts from other UFC contracts, all of which have the same text. One, Francis uh, has said he's, been, he's going to be a free agent in December. That would be based on the effective date of his contract. We don't really need to, You can go to the next slide. This is the agreement here. You can see right there. Okay, tweet two. The effective date is the date of the signature on the signature page. Based on all the interviews where uh, Nganu has mentioned being a free agent, it sounds like the sign date was sometime in early December of 2017. He's got 2018 there, but it's 2017. In actuality, he fixed it later. So, so there you have it. Okay. The effective date, the date when it is signed, is the date that the contract starts or commences. Right? There you have it. Okay. We take a look at the picture. Okay. There you have it. You can take a screenshot. You can go back and read all this stuff. Four, a new provision put in every contract I've seen uh, post-2017 states the agreement will not be extended pursuant to the Section 4 beyond the date, which is five years after the effective date of this agreement. That's the tweet, and you can see the actual language right there. Tweet five. So five years after the date it was signed would be sometime in early December. I have said in the past that I thought the contract would end in January, but that's based on a faulty reading of another contract, not the current standard. So, Francis could very well be a free agent by now. And last but not least, also, the UFC contracts no longer include an, inclus- excuse me, an exclusive negotiating period. Diaz's did, but that's not, no longer in play. But they still have the 12-month matching period. So, as soon as Francis's effective date has passed, which it might already have, he's free to talk to anyone. BC, let's assume for the sake of argument that this is a correct reading, which I am inclined to believe that it is. Your reaction is what? Well, I want to ask you, what's the real news here? Is the real news that he may already be, he doesn't have to wait till the end of December to become a free agent, along so, with UFC having an additional year to match any offers? Is that what you're saying? I'm trying to trying to get it all together. The I, news you know. here would be, let's think about what the UFC has teased as potentials for 2023 under the idea that Francis is no longer under contract with them, Right. We're just operating like it's going to happen. He might already be done and moving on to a different direction. Now, I have seen some reports that they are in current talks with the UFC and that those talks have gone largely well. 
But what I'm wondering is, have there been strategic announcements that have been made that are not in keeping with the contractual realities about his current position? I don't know. I mean, having all the uh, the announcements, has UFC commented publicly on this, Luke? It seems like we're all going on information people are sourcing off of, you know, managers and or in like in this case, former, you know, contracts that are similar in terms of exact length. Yeah, this is largely based on people talking to managers. That's right. You know, whether he is already officially a free agent or has to wait until December 28th or 31st or whatever it is the end of the day, I don't really feel like this changes much. The only thing that I think has changed in this process since he beat Gon has been, I don't feel like he has the same immediate level of leverage he may have had back at that point where there was more talk about the idea of him crossing over and, and you know, if he was able to get out of his UFC deal or if he was able to sign a new type of hybrid deal, which would allow him to do things on the side. I mean, any interest in him against Tyson Fury, no one's talking about it anymore, Luke. Yeah, I I love that. Like, what is the boxing talk? Because it seems like the fight against Chisora, the third one we just had, was basically a waste of everyone's time, except for one thing. It just kept him circulating in headlines after that, after the face-off with Usyk, about this is the direction I'm headed. He didn't tease WWE. He didn't tease retirement. He teased, I'm going to keep boxing, and this is the lane I want to go in. Francis, he was there after the Dillian White fight. He was not there after this fight. To me, that's pretty telling. Yeah, I I, I don't think that's a, a lane anymore that makes the risk worth it of of not going back. But what, let's ask ourselves, what is that real risk? If he doesn't sign with them, it doesn't mean he never could again, right? So it's not like it's all or nothing, one or the other in that way, but he also couldn't fight John Jones in arguably the biggest pay-per-view they can make next year unless he resigns. I just think in general, Francis has lost what I assume some of that initial leverage to be. And if you're UFC, you are in a decent spot should he walk away, meaning I don't think they have to bend to every turn because You've got Cyril gone. You've got John Jones coming in. You've still got Stipe around. You've still got a you know additional players who are good or marketable around that. I feel like this is as abundant as the heavyweight division has ever been in terms of our consistent entertainment and fantasy matchmaking. So all that goes into play to say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean Francis has lost some of that leverage and, and him resigning? I mean, he is late in his career in advanced and will need to prove to us coming off of this knee injury that he is the same guy. I just think any form of fighting on his end to say my new contract must be the kind of unique one that no one's ever had before in the UFC at this level, I don't know if he has leverage to pull that off. So as long as that's not what it's about and it's really more about him getting more money, that could be in play. I just think that leverage is there because this Jones fight is absolutely, you know, they they can't do it without him in that regard. But John Jones coming back at heavyweight is big regardless. And, you know, I don't know. It's weird, Luke. I, I just said nothing, which probably is typical in these parts for me in saying a lot, but I said nothing because I don't know necessarily what this advances in the news cycle. I'm shocked from the moment he beat Ga- uh, Cyril Gaon and, and, you know, rightfully we applauded him. I'm shocked there has not been a development since then. I really am. I'm shocked that he didn't re-sign early and re-extend his contract. Uh, you know, maybe it does come down to that lack of assumed leverage we thought he had, but with that Fury fight kind of going away, I guess the best question I could spin back at you after saying nothing, Luke, is what are his true options outside of resigning with the UFC that are bigger, more financially relevant, that would make sense 
to compromise at the negotiation table, coming back and dealing not with unfinished business, but with big business ahead of him and the idea of eventually rematching Gon, fighting Stipe a third time, fighting John Jones, all that that comes with that. Okay, I, I, I'm going to spin it back to you, but I'm going to do it in a way that would kind of answer this, or at least it would help me answer it. Just follow me for a second. We might think it unthinkable, but we have heard Bob Arum express interest at times in working with Francis. Even our own Stephen Espinosa in various interviews has said that is something that they would at least consider, right? There's expressed some interest in that way. So let me ask you this to help answer the question. What if we got a press release tomorrow that said Francis Ngannou has signed a two-fight PBC deal? What are the fights they could actually make if they had a two-fight PBC deal? And now, I want to be clarifying here. We're imagining that the commission would not get in the way of him fighting premier talent. Like, he, you know, no name is uh, unattainable by virtue of the difference in boxing ability or experience. Two-fight deal, what happens? Uh, I mean, look, the, the idea of him against Deontay Wilder in a pay-per-view does bring back to life the, the potential, you know, of not going back to the UFC and what type of money could you make? Could you then make another fun sort of crossover type fight? You could, but would you agree that that's a, I mean, so that's the question Francis is facing right now, a potential divergent turn to boxing where he could make more money in theory than he could signing back with the UFC. Is Francis willing to put off the future history that could be in front of him and fighting a John Jones and cleaning out this division for that accumulated millions. Yeah, I guess it is probably worth it in the end, Luke. But would the UFC let him walk instead of trying to make some type of hybrid contract work? And the only way a hybrid contract would work, in my eyes, is if there was enough audience and network want and pull for him, not in the PBC, but particularly against Fury. Because if it was like Top Rank, Dana, and Disney all sitting down in the same room and going... We all want this. Let's do this. That's one thing. But I don't know if there is that will and pull for that. Now, would I love to see him fight against Wilder? Yeah, that makes it a little bit more interesting because of Wilder's lack of overall pure boxing skills compared to his regular competition. But I don't know, Luke. At the end of the day, I, is this worth it for Francis? Just to be free, just to make this kind of money. If he looks at it as life-changing money regardless, then maybe it is, but... John Jones's arrival in this division, to me, from a sporting, from a resume standpoint, history standpoint, still a lot to offer Francis just the same uh, on healing up and coming back in the octagon, but for more money than he's used to. So, I mean, look, how, you're asking me how realistic a potential thing here is. Yeah, one fight against Wilder, sure, but what if in any one-off boxing match it goes disastrous for him? And I don't mean right. disastrous necessarily from getting knocked out cold because I think he's willing to take that risk clearly, but just disastrous from the standpoint that he's not good and it's not entertaining. Then right. are you going to want to see a second fight? I don't know. Then does he lose any leverage in coming back to the UFC? Is there a market for him in MMA outside of the UFC? It has to be the question that's packaged with this. Obviously everybody's going to want him, but are there enough opponents and money out there to make it worth it? Here's what I think is going to happen. Here's what I think. I think even despite the fact that he is probably now a free agent, what I think is going to happen is he's going to re-sign with UFC, right, for a couple of reasons. So I think one, I think he does want to defend the title, and I think obviously the Jones fight is huge. So the competitive spirit plus the financial reward and all the significance 
therein, the the nexus between them is going to be very appealing to him. But I do think that when the next, unless the UFC signs him to like a seven fight deal or some shit, if he gets out of the next deal, like he completes the next version of it, I think at the end of that he might try boxing, right? When he when it's like the very best of his MMA days are over. The question you have to ask yourself is, are the very best of his MMA days over? Don't know. Don't know. We'll have to see. That's the interesting part here, right? Yeah, when you combine his age, which again, we're not we're not concerned because it's heavyweight necessarily with his age, but more the, the the potential of how much that injury and recovery could compromise him moving forward. Could you talk yourself into the idea that it might be better to go to boxing so you're not worrying about getting kicked in the leg or taking people down or any of that side of it, Luke? In terms yeah. of longevity? Yep, you could do that. I mean, again, I still think that he wants to go in there and beat John Jones. I really do. And if the Tyson Fury fight were hotter right now, different conversation. Yeah, but you make a good point. It's cold. If he goes in there, if he signs a smaller deal, if he goes in there and beats John Jones, gone a second time, Stipe for all we know, a third time, you know, a second time, dude, won't that raise the price so much more for the idea of a one night, one off boxing crossover? I think it would. I think it yes, would. I think that's right. <laughs> Tenfold, yeah. I think that's right. So we'll have to see. All right, topic number three here. Uh, Justin Gaethje got into it with the Dave Portnoy. Dave Portnoy's official title was like, he's like president and founder of Barstool Sports. Is that right? I think sure. that's right. So yeah. th- this is the intersection between two things. Let me read one side of it and then get to the other part of it, BC. So Justin Gaethje had this back and forth with Dave Portnoy on Twitter where I think... I think what I could be wrong about this, but I think what originally started it was that Gaethje. Yeah, here it is. Tweet one. He said in a tweet, quote, this makes the Barstool guys look really bad. Just bending over for the lad fight of the night. We're talking about Patty and Gordon. Barstool can give him 50K, but that performance will never get you a bonus in the octagon. Right. So then Dave Portnoy responds. uh, (laughs) Okay. Uh, he responds, people are telling me Justin Gaethje was recently seen hanging out with a warlord accused of brutal crimes against humanity. So it's hypocritical for him to say we look bad for supporting Patty when he supports a warlord. I'm going to take the high road and not mention it. Hashtag Davey high road. Okay. So obviously he mentions it outright. And then Gaethje doesn't take kindly to this. That's outright lie and a slander. Hashtag Dave's a bitch is what he says. All right. What part of that is a lie? What? What? Part, I mean, you know, what? What it's part not of quite, that? Inter- it's not quite right. It's not quite right. And I'll, t- I'll explain why in just a second. So, the at this point, if you go and watch what people are saying to him, they're eating Justin Gaethje alive in the in the comment threads. We should be noting here: Justin Gaethje has always been nice to us. I do like him. I've often said and always said I think he really needs to reconsider this relationship that he has developed or whatever this money that he took, but. You know, I'm not going to sit here and fucking bang my fist on the four mica and ask to see the manager uh, about it. Like, it is what it is, I suppose. Anyway, so he says, never met the guy. Go fuck yourself. Okay, here's the problem. A fan begins to show him pictures of all the stuff he was doing and all the videos and mentions it anyway. He says, come on, guy. You won't show me one picture or video of me with the guy you were talking about. I was there. Right? It continues. Hold on just a second. They're starting to show him all this shit, right? All the pictures of him shooting guns with the children, or one of the children anyway, of Kadyrov. And he says, are you saying all Russians look alike? Went for the kid's birthday party. I also like to shoot guns. BC, this is on par with the Shaggy defense. Do you know what the Shaggy defense is? Yeah, it wasn't me. Yeah. No, sir, we even caught you in the shower. Uh, It wasn't me. We even have you on camera. It wasn't me. 
We even have you banging on the sofa. It wasn't, it wasn't me. Now, what he's saying is technically true. There are, uh, as best we know, there are no pictures of him with actually Kadyrov. There are pictures of him with the children, or a child anyway, of Kadyrov. A teenage son, I believe, it was one of the ones that was there. Um, not all of the Kadyrov children are sanctioned by the U.S. Treasury Department. The older ones are, but not all of them are. The younger ones are not. So it's not technically true that, as far as we know, he met Kadyrov. But he did do this. What do you make of the Dave versus Justin part and everything else involved here? And I have a note after that. Yeah, I mean, I echo what you're saying. Love Justin Gaethje. One of my favorite fighters, to be fair, in the history of this sport. I do think, in general, like, isn't something coming here, Luke? I mean, isn't there a New York Times uh, investigative piece that just came off? Look, on the boxing side, anybody associated with Daniel Kinahan comparatively is now not allowed to fly into the States. Tyson Fury can't come back and fight in Las Vegas until all that's figured out. I mean, look, is it unfair to compare? And in this case with Gaethje, all that stuff might be true, what you're saying, meaning he might have been there with the Suns. Yeah, we don't see official pictures. But the point of the New York Times story in general is how close is is Kadyrov to the sport? Well, very close. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they mentioned Magomed Ankalaev in that piece. So considering what's been going, what happened in boxing in the crackdown with anyone Kinahan related and the fact that, you know, aren't we supplying resources to the country that's fighting in a war opposite this country and one of these leaders? Um, shouldn't something be handed down soon, Lou, to try to draw a line in the sand in terms of what is in good taste and what isn't in terms of the relations and who you hang out with? I mean, like, do you need a Dana White statement on this to feel good about this? I don't know if you need a Dana White statement, but to me, this feels akin to the James Krause situation. That might sound a little crazy, but here's what I mean. Obviously, they're very different in any number of different ways. They're totally different in that sense. But the thing that might unite them was the UFC only issued that guidance about betting very late into the game and right before all of this other shit broke. So, like, they got it out right on time, or I should say they got it out as late as they possibly could while still being on the side before everything went to shit. But you can see that like, there's an issue there about betting. Like, you know, we didn't talk about this, BC, but like part of the reason I, I wonder, I wonder about how the reaction to the Patty and Gordon decision is the fact that it happened a week after like two Canadian provinces in the state of New Jersey had had these questions about betting integrity, either on the UFC or James Krause more specifically. Like there's these questions about product integrity, whether or not they're fair or not, they are certainly a part of it. And so the UFC is now like, you see Dana White? We didn't talk about this either. You see Dana White at the post-fight press conference at 282? Like, he was he was on a heater, man. Like, he was not in a good mood at all. Um, what that's about, hard to say. I bring it up to, to point out, this Kadyrov situation feels like it is inevitably head, headed towards a very clear and obvious conclusion about no one's going to be either allowed to come here that's got associations with him. And if you do business with him, you might generally get in serious fucking trouble, right, of any kind. In fact, yeah. this is what the New York Times article says, quote, a State Department official familiar with the investigations of Kadyrov's business dealings said in a statement, and this is the quoting in the article, the Department of State is aware of Kadyrov's association with Chechen UFC fighters. The official was not authorized to publicly dis- discuss the application of the Treasury sanctions and shared the statement on the condition of anonymity 
Although the State Department had previously noted Kadyrov's ties within combat sports, the statement is the first direct mention of athletes with the UFC having ties to Kadyrov, and they noted that Maxim Grishin wasn't allowed to come over here, they suspect, by virtue of the fact that he had an association with Kadyrov. This could happen to, to Ankalaev. This could happen to, obviously, Hamzat Shemaev, and then anyone who does business with him. Dude, I'm telling you, I feel like this is headed towards, if you touch it at all, you're out. The UFC might want to get involved here to avoid it feels past uh, due. that situation. Yeah, it feels like long past due, for, past due, excuse me, for the UFC to get involved. And, you know, it doesn't help the timing on what Justin and Dave were arguing there, which is Usman, Cejudo, and Gaethje going over there. And again, it's like on the surface, it's like, you know, you, you, people can have friends or sponsors or whomever that, you know, whoever they want. And, it, you know, even if it's somebody you think might be questionable. But in this case... That's why I asked you up front, is Kinahan and Kadyrov comparable? Yeah, it seems like they very are, Luke, from the standpoint of if you're caught with, you know, if you have ties with him and you still want to be in the UFC, it might be smart for the company to make people cut those ties at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I mean, that 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 just seems uh, that just seems way too smart. So, um, you know, in terms of the Portnoy versus Gaethje, it was, it was humorous to a certain degree. I mean, do you, I've never disliked Portnoy, even though... He went to Mike's Pizza Palace in Nogta, Connecticut, and just butchered the one-bite rating for, uh, you know, my favorite stop of all time. But, you know, look, why was him and Gaethje kind of going after? Because I think people are getting a little bit sick of this, right? The the, the wigs up front, yeah. you know, front row, Molly running around with people on her shoulders. I mean, this has almost been unprecedented to a certain degree in two fighters, Patty and Molly, both who show large marketing potential. You know, and but we're questioning both in terms of their long term ability, uh, in terms of like just letting that become a parade circus and sideshow. And I don't know, like, where are the lines there, Luke? I mean, it's great to be popular and have rich friends, and I'm sure it's not bad business for UFC to give you know Portnoy or whoever else is cool in the moment tickets right in the front. But you know, th- this does start to be like. It does. It doesn't help Patty. It may help him financially, but it doesn't help him in this larger discussion of is he overrated? Is he in Dana White's pocket? Is the company, you know, going crazy to try to push him? Well, yes, 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 and yes, right? Well, on so, the one I mean, hand, I, I mean, here's the thing. Here's what I would say. On the one hand, like, I actually feel like a guy like Dave Portnoy in Barstool getting behind a UFC fighter and allowing that guy to make money in the way that they could through whatever arrangement they have in media and, and marketing and events and everything else. I actually feel like like that is great. Like I would love to see more of that to be honest with you. It's just that they bet the farm on talent that uh you know, we'll see how far Molly Meatball goes. But like in general, you know, I I don't I it's not like they put their money on Armin Saryukin and Demir Ismagulov who I feel like would go very far. It's I think there's a perception that they put their money on talent that is something of a there's a perception anyway and you can decide whether it's fair or not but that is a function of marketing and hype and then regional bias and not anything more than that i think people are like well what the fuck is this you know it's not like you're putting it on on izzy on the rise up or something although he faced endless skepticism as well but you know either way like getting mad at barstool for giving money to a guy even for a guy who you know may or may not win a championship i don't know i don't really see the point in that personally but i guess i understand that people are kind of sick of it so I guess it's just like if you're an elite fighter who doesn't have that, are you annoyed where you feel like the company is complicit in this, oh, in this I see. overhyping? I see. 
But I, I mean, mean, of course, they'll like, be complicit. This is the fight game. This is the yeah. fight game. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it works. It's a superstar business. Dude, people don't necessarily pay money for quality. They pay money sometimes for quality, sometimes, sometimes for hype. Sometimes when it's Conor at his peak, it's hype and quality at the same time. But is quality always a function of their choices? No, no, it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, Let's you know, there's always, there's, there's always only pipes if you want more money, though, you know? <laughs> Let's go to only pipes. And Luke and Brian have sex over, <laughs> over on only pipes. All right. Uh, how about this little fun nugget? Uh, Mohegan Sun, I should say Mohegan Athletic Director. One more time. Let me try this before I completely botch it. Mohegan Athletic Department Director of Athletics. I mean, could you have a worse, less reasonable sounding title? <laughs> Uh, but he's a good guy. Mike Mazzulli expressed, listen to this, no issues with the final outcome. We're talking about the Sabatello and Stotts fight, right? Now, remember, uh, Sabatello ended up losing, Stotts winning via majority, uh, no, excuse me, via split decision. Two of the cards went his way, and then that Douglas Crosby all-time whopper of a shit dog card, 50-45 for Sabatello. Here's where it comes down and gets a little bit more interesting. I think this comes to us from Ariel Hawani and maybe some other folks. But... He put out a statement. Mazzulli was concerned, quote, about the controversial 50-45 scorecard. As a result, he scheduled a review, a review with the three judges on the fight, Crosby, Eric Colon, and Brian Minner. Now, Mazzulli's statement says, quote, In the last Bellator event, this is the one December 9th, there was a controversy in the Sabatello-Stotts fight. After reviewing the fight, three rounds of the five rounds were extremely close, and the other two were marginally close rounds. One judge had Sabatello winning all five rounds, which is controversial. Ultimately, Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. He's right. In an effort to make this a learning moment, get the fuck out of here. I have informed all three judges we will be reviewing the fight together. In addition, this is a very serious situation, he wrote. The Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department always looks out for the best interest of all fighters. In the past, the Mohegan Tribe Athletic Department has sanctioned officials that are not performing to the level that is required. Such, sanction, such sanctions when they occur, are not made public. I got to tell you, BC, the question I have for you is, do you think this actually results in Douglas Crosby getting fewer results or fewer um, assignments? Because I have to tell you, the words, learning moment, tell me this isn't going to do jack shit to that. Well, I think, look, I, I don't have an issue with Mazzulli's statement if this was sort of like a one-off card, but, I mean, this is almost, it almost feels unprecedented to see Crosby get on a plane and be separate coasts and back-to-back fights with separate major organizations and put out separate largely shit scorecards. So, uh, so, you know, I, I, I get the sort of fair nature of his statement. Like, look, we're going to investigate. We're going to see what happens, whatever. You know, I'm not going to jump out and say, yeah, that sucked. These guys are going to go. But in Crosby's case, it's going to have to be a deep investigation, Luke, because again, nothing really happens in boxing either until CJ Ross had back-to-back stinkers at a very high level. And then she never worked again. I mean, it, that's just, that's just what happened here. So um, both of these scorecards suck. Without question, from Crosby, uh, is Brian Minor Minner related to Derek Minner? Luke, can we can we can we look even deeper into this investigation? Uh, I don't, maybe I find don't out think so. more on uh, on my parlays and Punani podcast with Coach Cross. But um, yeah, it is a serious situation, as Missouri stated. So I'm glad at the very least that they are going to look into that. I don't know; it's weird, Luke. Like separate, would either of these scorecards from Crosby made us go nuts? No, right? Even though like the four fifty forty five kind of sucks. But at the same time, could you give three rounds to to um, Sabatello based on how the fight went? Could you argue into maybe he just got it? I mean, like, I don't think 
I don't know. It's it's really. I mean, I've, I've seen so many shit scorecards in boxing where on the regular I have to go. Is that somebody being stupid? Is that them misinterpreting the rules, or is that corruption? Yeah, I, I don't you're know. A if little, I, you're 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 a little jaundiced from like decades of watching boxing. I think so there's I'm, maybe one round for Sabatello, and I think even that's pushing it. I mean, you okay. Could, I, I guess there's two in like the theory, but. Um, then let me. Then I guess this is best said in a question. I don't see corruption when I see this. I do see a judge who needs to come down a major peg, you know, not fired and let's burn his body in the streets, Joan of Arc style, but Doug Crosby or anybody else who has a major F up, one major F up on the high level. Dude, you gotta, if you're in a commission, if you're that's respectable, pull these guys off the road for a short season, get them back into training. Just like if your grandpa, who's still got it, drives his Ford Pinto into the front of a coffee shop, Luke, and luckily he didn't kill anybody. That guy's got to go back for tests too before he can get back behind the wheel. My point is it should take some time. Do you agree with me that this is more ineptitude than corruption? That's what I feel like this whole Doug Crosby situation. So people, when you say the word corruption, you mean like when I hear, okay, so when I hear the word corruption. There are levels I'm, to corruption. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. money. I, I mean, and, yeah, I think I think like bribes, I think like, you know, criminal acts. What I think is actually happening is in the case of Douglas Crosby, just clearly incompetent, right? Like totally, no question about it, incompetent. That's one, right? So that's one part. The other part to me is not corruption in the way that you think you would traditionally define it. To me, it's more like the sclerotic nature of bureaucracy where they don't have a lot of available talent to pick from because they don't pay a lot for these jobs. There's not a lot of people coming to the door to do them. It takes a long time to get trained up. And so what ends up happening is they just don't cycle talent through very well. They don't really push shit talent out and bring in new guys nearly as often as they should. I think even in ways where they actually could do it, even despite some limited resources in terms of actually people who could do the job effectively. And so what ends up happening is these commissions, and by the way, there's no public transparency. Like even if we find these, or even if we fire these guys, we're not going to tell you. You should tell the public, man. You should tell the public about what you found. You should tell the public about what you know. If you want to build trust, putting up walls where there's no information that people can get reasonably get a sense of what decisions are being made and why doesn't improve trust. And you're like, well, we'd get killed no matter what. Yeah, but you'd also be getting killed and being transparent. Now you're not transparent and still getting killed. You got to tell me that you, you are not transparent with the public because you think it makes you look good. You are transparent with the public because that is the ethical thing to do. It, it is a virtue in itself, not that it gives you some grand reward. And they seem to not understand this concept about transparency and why you do it. You do it because it's the right thing to do, because the public is owed some measure of transparency here. And so when they say shit like we're going to turn into a learning moment, I don't know what that means. I could be also very jaundiced, BC. But the thing that drives me crazy is how they don't let the public in on any decision making yeah. whatsoever. They I mean, justify nothing. And we're just sitting here with nothing to do about it. You're going to have a hard time for me or you to try to sit here and defend athletic uh, commissions in the modern combat sports landscape when, you know, if you're the head of the Nevada commission, God, you want to keep promoters happy. You want them to keep coming. You want to, you know. So, yeah, so there's an unbiased, there's an unconscious, not unconscious corruption, but there's the corruption where you take a loaded envelope to give one person a wide score. But I get what you're saying. There's also the perceived sort of corruption of like, if I go with the house fighter, will I get more jobs on the regular because the commission wants big business and all that? I mm -hmm. think there's a lot of, you know, subtle issues like that behind the scenes. But timing of this couldn't be worse, in my opinion, for UFC and company coming off the Kraus 
scandal and the lockdowns put on on betting because that's all about integrity of the game, as is this. And Luke, I think you would say in general, boxing's integrity of the game in general, as it pertains to judging, is what? Horrific? The, the reputation for their integrity in general? It's like people about just as assume. As low as it could be. About as low as yeah. it could be. Um, what is the UFC's not role or what can they do in this case when you package all these controversies together and the wake up call that the James Krause situation was to put in all of these rules and walls to protect them so that the sport isn't looked at in the same way that boxing can often be in the eyes of a casual fan. Think of a casual fan who only comes it back to boxing for the big fights puts down their 80 bucks or whatever, then sees the decision they disagree with, and then they go, oh, I told you, this is why I don't watch this sport. I mean, how close can we get to that? Obviously, Dana White and company, unlike a lot of people don't realize, can't just say, I want this referee and this commission. They're not UFC employees. Obviously, we all get that. But the time is of the essence right now to, I don't know, dude, what can Dana do? Knock on the door, say, Bob Bennett, clean fucking house in there. Like, let's get rid of these clowns because – this is our reputation. These are my fighters' futures and paydays, and I'm already not paying them enough, and I'm going to keep that firm, okay, brother? So don't you fuck them on the back end and prevent them from doubling their money and getting that bonus or that win share. Um, should they do something right now to prevent this reputation from going in the direction of boxing? Uh, but what can they do? I mean, like, for example, I mean, this is why these this whole system is just broken, beyond repair <laughs> like the ufc i'm not going to say they went hat in hand because they didn't they don't they don't they don't have to do that but dana white getting the commission to regulate slap fighting you know he's not going to come out afterwards and really like bash them on the mma side not right now i mean he may well in the future but you know he needs them a little bit more than they need him for the slap fighting shit Right, like he has now got this. Where's slap fighting going to air? TBS, which is not a small station, that's a big one. Right, right. Like he just he he basically asked a favor, and they kind of granted it. And you know maybe it makes slap fighting marginally safer. I don't know. Right, it probably is better that it's regulated versus not. But nevertheless, it's fucking stupid and the lowest common denominator of entertainment imaginable. Um, So. With that in mind, with that relationship in place, are you really then going to go out and be like, these fucking guys need to get it together? What dog shit? What bullshit? Let's do that. This is nonsense. Like, he was killing Steve Mazzagatti for a while. Dude, he's got too many entanglements and conflicts of interest to really make that uh, push All right, anymore. I got a big point on that, but you mentioned Mazzagatti. Dana wanted him so badly out of the cage. I love, by the way, that Mazzagatti is now like the like official timekeeper oh, so or whatever is gone. I believe Jeff Mullen is, you're the, right. Um, I was going to yeah. dead wrong myself in the moment. I forgot his replacement's name. You can, you can, uh, anyone can send it to us. But the point is this, look, Mazzagatti, Dana wanted him out of the octagon so bad, but yet the commission still sits him as like the timekeeper right there outside the cage. You can see him on TV often, which by the way, if Ariel's ever completely down on his luck, he should probably make a run at referee or judging so he can get back on TV there too, to stick it to them. But Luke, the larger real point is this. You mentioned Dana's a little, might be a little bit too close at times with the commission. Wasn't Lorenzo on the athletic commission in Nevada at the time that like UFC got legalized again and was a big part in that right before the Fertitas and Dana bought the company. Like they've always kind of been arm in arm with them. Correct. I don't know about the timing there. That part to me, I don't believe is correct. I think you might be getting that one wrong. I think he has since think... departed. I don't even. I don't it... think it's legal to do what you're suggesting. I think it was closer than you may remember. 
Maybe I don't have my timeline. I don't in think order, the timing so was at all far apart, if that's what you mean. Like I think it was right. very close, but I don't know if one was actually in an active role when that happened. That's what I mean. Yes, there was definitely influence though at that point. Oh, for sure. Still influence sure. today. Dude, like but... dude, I live in a city. I mean, understand something. I live in a fucking city where if you have a okay, so let's say you come to town because you work for a congressman, right? They only serve two two year terms, okay? Many of them tend to get reelected, many of them don't. If you tend to serve on someone that uh, worked here as a congressman, so the congressman got reelected a number of times and was here 10 years, and you actually, I've seen this happen where guys get over the course of time elevated to chief of staff and chief speechwriter and everything else, and then your guy loses an election, what do you do? Do you go home to Tennessee where you might be from, or do you stay in D.C., take a job at a lobbying office, and then you're right back on Capitol Hill because you actually know who the next chief of staff is for the, the House Armed Services Committee, blah, blah, blah. Or you know who the, actually the right buttons are to pull on this particular issue. And then you're now very valuable. There's just this gross-ass revolving thing. I mean, how many guys in the Obama administration ended up working in big tech for like Amazon or fucking whoever else? Because that's the nature of the stuff. The regulatory world in the fight game is not... I mean, it's not exactly the same. We're not talking about two, you know, mirror images. But this idea that there's like a clear distinction between those who regulate and those who own and promote is just matter of factly not true. Not true even a fucking little bit. Lots of interchange between people who work at promotions and then on the commission and then vice versa. You know, there's a ton of fucking conflicts of interest going along where I just don't think promotions are in exactly the same place that they were before to really lean on the commissions to get the job done. At the same time, you know, the commissions aren't really hammering the promotions either. And everyone kind of just leaves the stasis of, hey, let's just all make money together kind of in place. Uh, Luke, looking it up quickly, uh, Lorenzo Fertitta served on the athletic commission in the state of Nevada through 2000. Zufa purchased the company in 2001, 2001. Right. I'm going to do a little bit more research and get back to you, but I do believe there was a deeper connection in terms of related to that in terms of uh, Nevada approving the Fertitas buying the company and, and, and then that simultaneously with getting it approved. I, they're, they're comfier, my point is, than people realize, even to the level of an MMA fighting story here from 2017, which says at that point, the newest commissioner appointed to the Nevada Athletic Commission, Stacey Alonzo, was an executive vice president at Station Casinos at the timing right. of her hire. Right. Station owned by Fertitas. Obviously, at that point, in 2017, Fertitas no longer owning the UFC. But again, you get the the symmetry there, Luke. The uh, bedfellows, oddfellows. No, strange Odd bedfellows. Bedfellow. Stra- strange, strange bedfellows. Yeah. All right, there you. All go. right. Last there but not go. least, BC. Let's move on to topic five, and then we'll get to some of the fun stuff here. Topic number five, BC, you got up and watched it. I saw it after effect, or actually, I should say after words. Um, monsters exist, folks. Monsters exist. And this monster is Naoya Inoue, who is just a marvel. BC, I could not possibly state it better than you. Who did he beat yesterday morning, and what was the significance? I want to talk more about the fighter himself, but set up, if you can, contextualize the achievement for us. Yeah, 29 years old from Japan, already a three-division champion, already my pound-for-pound king at CBS Sports heading into this fight. Uh, And if you remember, he won his first title in his sixth fight, second division, he won a championship in his eighth fight, became a three-division champion in his 11th pro fight. So this has been a Lomachenko-like, daring-to-be-great run. But Tuesday morning in his native Japan there in Tokyo, he took on Paul Butler, who was, unfortunately, Luke, probably the most unheralded champion he could fight and certainly put out a 
a shitbag performance to boot with that. But he brought the last belt at Bantamweight that Inoue didn't have. Inoue unified titles, if you remember, back in the World Boxing Super Series tournament and won that by beating Nonito Donaire their first fight. And that absolute classic went on to beat Donaire again earlier this year by knockout. Three belts coming in, and he added the fourth to become the fourth, the first four-belt undisputed champion in Bantamweight history and also many other firsts related to Japanese fighters, fighters from Asia and the Outer Rim in terms of being undisputed. He's the ninth male undisputed champion of this modern four-belt era and joins right now Canelo, Jermel Charlo, and Devin Haney as active undisputed champions. But Luke, he blew away Paul Butler, 10th round stoppage in a fight that Butler was not there to win decidedly. But he still had to chase down a guy stuck beyond a high guard, get mm-hmm. creative, do the, the Roy Jones, do the Ollie shuffle, do all the switching stances, taunting even to try to find the opening. And when he found the opening, good Lord, does he deliver. The real topic for the pound-for-pound king and undisputed three-division champion, in my opinion, which I can't wait to ask you as a intense boxing fan yourself, Dude, he has already announced he's moving up to 122 from here. So what he just accomplished, great, albeit not, unfortunately, against a great opponent. But, dude, this guy at 122 next year against Fulton, Neri, Figueroa, are you freaking kidding me? This is going to be some serious theater to watch if this all plays out to to the best laid plans moving forward. He's he's so exciting. It's, it's crazy. He's always balanced his motion is like economical he sets traps and you know i, I, I will say this bc you, you'll probably agree with this you know my favorite rapper is vinnie paz and he's a huge boxing fan he actually has a patreon broadcasting uh, uh he has a patreon boxing podcast that he does and he made a point after the fight which was true you kind of alluded to it just now which was listen man it's one thing to beat another guy who there may be a difference in quality depending on the strategy sometimes it can be easier sometimes it can be harder but if they're doing the whole Joshua Clotty behind Manny Pacquiao, which is just this, it's very, very hard to get that guy. It's very, very hard if they're just deciding in soccer parlance to park the bus. It's very difficult to get anything out of them. And he still was able to do it. He still polished him off in the 11th round. So he had a guy who was not really, eventually over the course of the fight, not trying to fire back, not really trying to win it, just trying to defensively hang on and get a moral victory. And in a way, wouldn't even let him have a moral victory. He took that away from him too. This guy is fucking phenomenal. He is must watch in BC. I will tell you, if they can make a Stephen Fulton Jr. fight with Naoya Inoue, you want to talk about circling something on your calendar. You're talking like you're talking like extraordinarily talented boxer from Japan, extraordinarily talented boxer from Philly, different styles, different sizes to an extent as well, different ways of going about it, different talents, but each one potent as a motherfucker in their own way. That would be absolute manna from boxing heaven. I mean, we are getting to the point where at 29, Inoue is becoming, I mean, he's the best fighter in the sport right now, in my opinion. He's completely well-rounded, insane power in both hands. I mean, you know, we wondered, could he move up to a second, third weight class and still just violently flatten people? Yeah, yeah, he can. Can he do it in a fourth weight class against guys that big and talented? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But Luke, my point here is he's on his way to becoming like not just an all-time great, not just potentially like the fighter of this next era here that sort of Canelo has been the handoff from the Pacquiao Mayweather era 
into this new one that's going to be starting here soon. And, you know, he's already well, well into it, of course, but like, you know, this is Chocolatito territory. This is truly becoming one of the all-time greats in front of your eyes playing out right now, only in real time in, in, in his prime. He showed in the first fight against Donaire for the first time somebody made him show it that if you can take his shots, and God, Donaire was a man in that fight, and we remember broke Inoue's face early, he can outbox you and be slick if he absolutely has to and needs to. Oh, he's got all that too. He also has insane toughness that he showed in that fight. He's got everything, the demeanor. I think the problem for us is that, you know, he doesn't speak English and until just recently he wasn't regularly on American television. Now, shout out obviously to ESPN and Top Rank for investing in him and making that happen. But because he doesn't speak English and we don't really see a lot of interviews with him, I don't know the true situation at the moment of his fight contract. Like we know he's still got the co-promoter in Japan. He's with Aram and ESPN now. Can that still lead to us seeing the these kind of crazy idea fights that we're talking about in a fourth division naturally with two networks coming together? I don't know, Luke. I don't know if this fight's big enough. I don't know if there's a, a home-and-home deal. I don't know if one network could let the other one go because of the potential history and how big a fight would be there. Or is a new way closer to becoming a free agent in America than we realize? I want to know. I want to get this answer because the idea of him facing the big names at 122 and with the exception of Murajan Akhmadaliev, who has two belts at this weight class. Um, everybody else is with PBC. I mean, Luke, I don't know if he can go in there and have the same effect against Fulton, Figueroa, Neri, uh, in terms of that size difference. Yeah, only four pounds away, but when we're talking about the low weight classes and moving up, as he's consistently done, you hit your ceiling, you hit it hard historically. Um, dude, Fulton could be in anybody's top 10 pound for pound right now. Is on a run that's, you know... He could be the fighter of the year for all we know when, when we tally the votes at the end of the day. Although shout out to Dimitri Bivol for having a great year. Fulton is becoming one of the best in this game right now. Imagine if that's the guy Inoue end up having to go through mm-hmm. to try to unify all these titles and be and add to even more history because he's not going into these weight classes to just grab a belt and then keep going. I mean, he's cleaning them the fuck out and knocking people cold. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like, like <laughs> it's it's. You know, you look back outside of Donaire, who in the rematch, dude, he absolutely mopped the floor with that legend. There is not fights where people have taken his shit or made him adjust or have done anything outside of what Butler tried to do covering up, but end up looking up at the lights. The best part about him going to a fourth weight class is this fourth weight class at 122 is insanely deep. But whether it's Akhmadalia, Fulton, any of these, dude, this is going to be, for the for the hardcore fan, must-see TV. And I hope that through this process of hearing us talk about him and everybody that tuned in and watched, people are realizing we have a special, special, potential all-time great walking in front of us and, and, and constantly daring to be great and putting it on the line. Like, hell yeah. You, or, you better be a monster fan. You better be, you know? Or, let's remind folks as well, Showtime Championship Boxing comes back to Showtime this weekend. Of course, I'm going to remind folks, if you want, you can try Showtime free for 30 days. And now, if you go to Showtime.com, and now you can get it for $3.99 a month for your first six months. Free trial for new customers only. Terms apply. BC, let's see. We have a WBA lightweight title eliminator in the main event between Michelle Rivera and Frank Martin. Also, should be noted, two guys who are undefeated. Also, it should be noted, two guys in their 20s, 24 versus 27. BC, size these two up for us. This is one of those great, early, important matchups between two unbeaten guys who are coming the hell on. And right now we know the 
greater, I say lightweight, but, you know, we already know some of these lightweights have already recently moved up to 140, Teofimo, Ryan Garcia. So uh, it's it's sort of this larger area here, 35 to 40, with all these young, hot names. It's as crowded as ever to come up here, climb the ladder, make a big statement, get in the title picture. Right now, Devin Haney, of course, has all four major titles at 135. Tank's got a couple secondary titles here and there, but might be the biggest star of the group. These two guys are... Both coming in here looking to possibly be ready to join that group. And I think Michelle Rivera, his biggest win, his best performance to date in showing us that was handing Joseph Adorno a talented but sometimes misstepping uh, powerful prospect himself, his first defeat, and a thorough uh, drubbing, outboxing him. Michelle Rivera is the guy who looks like the young Muhammad Ali, purposely tries to dress like young Cassius Clay and, and style himself and all that. He is a slick boxer, a little bit of pop there to boot as well. But on the other side, Frank Martin is a little bit more of a, like, what do we have on this level unknown? Yet we've got enough clues to show you that it may be better than this level. He's Frank Martin is 27 years old, 16-0 and 0 with 12 KOs. They call him the ghost. But here's what's key. He's a southpaw, and he fights out of the Earl Spence camp there with, with Coach Derek James. So you know the elite level of sparring he gets. You know Derek James seems to only, you know, when he does pick a guy and train him, Spence, Jermel Charlo, only seems to go after those blue chippers the best. But this recent run for Frank Martin to get to this point uh, stopped Romero Duno, who we all know went in there against uh, Ryan Garcia, and then against Jackson Mourinhoz, the guy that we all saw in that title bout with Roley Romero deserve a victory for outboxing Roley, but not getting the nod on the scorecards. Luke, he stopped him in the 10th round. Uh, and was up on all three card or up on two of the three cards at that point of the stoppage. Frank Martin can box. He's got some pop from the southpaw stance to see these two guys, as you mentioned, this early at this age coming together to try to see who's advances next to the title picture. This is worth your time. This is going to be fun to see. And it's not. And I don't mean to, to talk higher. It seemed there of Martin because Michelle Rivera is is as good and has been showing us big potential. But Luke, it's that thing about you know Derek James, how hot he is. And how good Frank Martin has looked in spurts. Like, he really could be that dude. And to have to see him forced to prove that against Rivera, it's going to be a good card uh, December 17th, Saturday night on Showtime to close out the year for Showtime Championship Boxing. Yeah, it should be a fun one. And uh, for folks who may not know, BC and I will be on the prelims call. The prelims call. So I think that's an 8 p.m. start for you and me live on the Showtime YouTube channel, Showtime Sports YouTube channel. So you don't need Showtime for that, but if you want to get all the all the main card stuff, the, the main event, the meat of that whole thing, you got to get to Showtime.com. 30-day free trial, $3.99 a month for your first six months. Of course, new customers only. Terms apply. Hey, Join us hey, on Luke, Saturday. Quick, we'll be there. Quick box question to close here. Um, if you found out that Inoue and Fulton were going to fight at 122 at, at some point next year, what, are the, what does that line look like? Ooh, okay, I will tell you. I'll tell you. I'm going to say Fulton minus 120 in a way plus 110. Whoa, dude. Whoa. Now, I don't yeah. think that's wrong. I think that's fair. That's I, I was... how, that's, okay, hold on. That's, gonna how, that's how it's going to open. Now, after yeah. that, I don't know. Because here's the thing. You gotta put respect on Fulton's name, as Dude, you know Fulton the unified. A, Fulton, I mean, let's be real. Fulton is a motherfucker. I mean, he's a motherfucker. Yeah. Like, I mean, can in, Fox... a, in a way, it's just not gonna walk in there and dust him off. It's not gonna happen. But the question will be: Will Inoue's power be as devastating as it was in the previous three weight divisions? And Fulton sometimes remember we saw in some of those big wins in the last year and a half, dude, he goes after it offensively. 
I don't know if you want to do that against Inoue, right? Like, this is going to be something. This is, woo. woo. That would be amazing. All right, uh, all right BC. Uh, before we move on to fan subs, got to remind everyone, of course, UFC Vegas 66 is this weekend. And all the cards recently, of course, had some hashtag hammer of the month potential all over it. And, of course, BC, as you know, Aaron Blanchfield won last month for Hammer of the Month. This competition, though, continues. So for those of you who've been living under a rock the past few episodes, our favorite show sponsor, Money Lion, the only money app you'll ever need. We have a brand-new segment, BC. Let them know what time it is. Yeah, here's the deal. We decided to collaborate uh, in this great new segment called the Money Lion Hammer of the Month with our friends at Money Lion. Why? Well, because they know how to money. Look, I could use a little bit on that. I mean, got some no, coming you're in well, you're well taken care of, fuckface. I know what you make. Uh, no, no, I said handling, you know, it's like, yeah, just oh, let the oh, wife see, handle it, you know, I'm, ch- you know, Luke, I'm, a, uh, anyway, back to this, Luke, the hammer of the month can be a boxer, MMA fighter. Hey, could be a bare knuckler. I think the only line in the sand we say is no dick slappers on Dana's, uh, broadcast. All right. But we're looking at people that are rising, people that are making big statements, maybe not in the main event, maybe more undercard or early main card, whichever sport you're talking about, but people that are coming out there and showing you that, yeah, they're coming on hashtag Holy hammer, hashtag hammer of the month. Aaron Blanchfield was last month, this month, dude. I mean, how are we going to pick between Roman Delize, Ilya Tuporia, Luke, shout out Billy Q, my guy, uh, a bunch of others that from last weekend, which had, you know, a ton of them across the board on that UFC card. This is a crowded month, but this weekend, continue to let it be known at Money Lion on Twitter, at Money Lion Inc. on Instagram with those hashtags we talked about, and let us know who you want to nominate for this month's Hammer of the Month. They will get a beautiful, uh, what, do you, what would you call it, Luke, a hammer? I mean, yeah, hammer, I guess, yeah, yeah, big ass hammer. Yeah. For more information, of <laughs> course, moneylion.com slash morning combat. That's moneylion.com slash morning combat all right bc we didn't get a chance to do it for like the last two weeks or something so let's get to it it's time for not bc's feces it's time for it's not for some fan subs is it not yeah the email address is morning combat at gmail.com we were in uh mohegan ish area last week so we did not get to get to fan subs but we'll get to getting it right now this is your artwork pictures of you in tight t-shirts really just your chance to wave your hand and say "I i see you i feel you i'm here with you Fans, this is your hour. Do what you may. This is called Fan Submission. You've got mail. Viewers. BC, so I'm way down on my use of um, vaping. Vape. Yeah. My strategy has so far worked, which is I'm not trying to quit cold turkey because I don't think I just wouldn't work. But I'm like way down on how much I use. So I bought a flavor that I fucking hate and it's just miserable. So I use it just enough to like curb the nicotine appetite and then call it a day i've got it's still elf bar but i've got red mojito red mojito and that is as awful as it sounds yeah yeah uh, i mean you know it's like at least vape weed luke right Who's either way don't? we've oh wow either way we've got male viewers we also have female viewers luke and leading us off this week is the boss lady herself mount unike's dawn paquette who as we know luke she's all over the globe hello mk congrats on the big win this is dawn p back on the road again this time a quick trip to Lyon, france to finish off the year and some merch pictures of course christmas festival of lights accompanied by amazing food and wine before i head back home I don't know if Jay was on the trip here with her, Luke. I think Boss Lady was on her own. But these paquettes, I mean, is she coming on for a contendership role here, Luke, in um, Donk of the Year, or is she 
is she always, you know, a plus one of JP? Okay, so this is incredible, and not, she might be overtaking him. I have to say this. Chances she shows up in the UK on Feb 8. She does. I, she's got that job in, um, I forgot what industry. What did I say it was? Uh, IT. Oh, yeah, she's real high in, like, global IT, Luke. Or maybe she's just real high like us. Could be. But can we blow up this thing? I'm sure JP created this, but this is an update on on the Boss Lady's recent global merch tour. Um, wow. Imagine if it timed, Luke, if it lined up or come, what, February 8th, Wednesday night, right? Would be pretty nice. Pretty slick. MK in the UK. Hey, I'd welcome in these Nova Scotians just the same, the pockets. But they got to sleep in your bed, Luke, okay? Yeah. All right. That's, that's uh, I, they, can, they can sleep in the motherfucking tub. Fuck all that. Uh, Dawn wishes that, that's where Andre the Giant used to shit on the road, Luke. Yeah. By the way, how about Big John just no selling my question, right? Just, well, I mean, no, you just asked like, him, have you ever? I mean, you basically asked him, Big John, you ever taken a big ass dump in Tokyo? I mean, that was really just shut, just shut a like building's plumbing system down. Yeah. I mean, he could entertain that a little bit if he wanted to. Anyway, thank you, Don P. Let's keep it rolling. Here's Scott. He says, uh, Luke thinks he's Santa Claus now. Let's see what this is about. E.J. Dillashaw is the only person who either has or is using at this present time. You're a child. You're a child. I guarantee you it is way more common than you imagine. And I have other pieces of bad news for you. Santa Claus is also not real. Right. This is just a common thing that I think happens in all sports. <laughs> 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 oh, that is yeah. awesome. That is awesome. Dude, that's, uh, this it, is the role. This is the role I serve in life. I just ruin the party. That's what I'm here oh, for. Oh, look at this kid. Let, let's zoom in. Can we zoom in here? This is Scott's son, I assume. And that's a donk hat on him in the in the hot. He's tub. like, oh, this yeah. is my son drowning in the bay. I just left him. It's like, uh, Yo, all his, right, you might want. His son looks too out. cool, too cool for school. There, I bet you Scott already told him. Unlike my fifth grade ass back in like 1988, Luke. Damn, uh, I was I, I was wondering where that was going, and then I was like, oh right, to the to the home run. There you go. Yeah, I okay. So I do get people that say respectfully. Um, hey guys, love your show, but like I can't play it in the car with the kids around because of. You know your 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 relentless obsessive dick humor. Yeah, well, our show is not for children. I mean, it's for, okay. It's for adults who are mentally children, but it's not yeah. for actual. Yeah, there you children. go. Yeah, yeah, we ain't Wu Tang, right? You know, I mean, come on. That's yeah, right. there you yeah, go. Who do you think we are? Uh, let's go to Josh. He says, "Hangover cure." After seeing the drive-by truckers put on an absolutely kick-ass show last night, Luke. Oh, this God. is that guy with the with the badass uh, music tats on his arms. You know, he has Slash, he has a... Uh, oh, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. So, BC, have you ever had... Okay, so that so he's got a Modelo, obviously he's got the MK mug, and he's got the Clamato. Have you ever had tahine, which is the sauce on the right and the it's essentially the spice or the salt on the left? Tahine, have you ever uh, had it? No, but... The best no, way I to haven't. explain it is it's kind of like a... I won't say tomato-y, but more like a... Imagine salt that tasted like lime... That's really what okay. it's like, and they use it all over the place in Latin America. They put it on foods. They also put it on the rim of certain glasses, almost like a margarita with salt, and they'll have it with tahini. They'll even put tahini, which I fucking hate, but they'll put tahini. I like tahini, but they'll put it on, like, mango, which to me is, like, absurd. I don't know why people – you ever seen people – I first encountered this in the South, in the United States, 
Like I, I met people being like, man, you want to have that watermelon, take it to the next level. What you got to do is put salt on it. I'm like, why the fuck would I put salt on delicious watermelon? You fucking morons. And they love that shit. And it turns out in Latin America, they put tahine on uh, all kinds of shit, including delicious fruit. But that's what it is. Do you think they use tahine in foreplay at all, Luke, in, in South America? Probably. Probably. Uh, can we get back to what Josh is drinking here, Luke? I, I bought one time accidentally one of those Bud Light Clamato cans and almost threw up back in the can after <laughs> taking that first drink of tomato juice flavored Budweiser. Um, yeah. What is this? Like, I know there's a market for this, right? But, like, who? Who loves this shit? Do you have you tried? I, like, I don't do Bloody Marys. I don't do anything weird and gross like that. So, I'll tell you I, again, this is my only frame of reference. So, if it feels, you know, like I'm orienting the story in a single direction, it's because I only have one. Uh, these, like, hair of the dog drinks, right? So, this is what yeah. they do in Colombia. I can only speak for that because that's the only place I've ever really been a number of times. They have something they call Rafajo. Right. And what that is, is it's you take a pitcher and you take half of their like national uh, like their version of Coca-Cola, which is called Colombiana, sort of like what I would call A&W root beer flavored, like cream soda, something like that. It's kind of like that. It's delicious. They fill it up halfway with that and then they put half of the rest beer and then they squeeze a bunch of lime in it. Not everyone squeezes lime, but my family does. And then they drink that as like their hangover recovery drink called Rafajo. And uh, it's fucking gross, but they love it. They fucking love it. Yeah, I, I can't. I just can't. I tried it. I mean, it's disgusting. It's it's insanely disgusting. It is. Like, but what, you know, here's I my guess, attitude: just drink water. I don't. Or 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 like Gatorade or what's that? Uh, right, Pedialyte. 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 There you go. That the baby shit. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's keep this going. This is Nicholas. Uh, Nick and Julie signing in here, they say, bringing MK all day to 10,000 feet at the summit of, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Luke, Hileakala, Hileakala on the island of Maui, you know, the, the famous huge mm-hmm. volcano. Uh, Julie here is at least the fourth female viewer of the program, though she tunes out Brian at least as much as Luke does. Oh, come on. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Uh, Nick and Julie signing off. Can we zoom in here so I can talk bad about these people? I don't know. Nick looks like he's been to the gym, Luke. I'm, he looks pretty good yeah, in that medium, right? Listen, they look like normal people. They look like normal, sane, non-Jan Sixers. <laughs> I can appreciate Luke. Uh, this Is that another snarky red junior that hates me, Luke? I can appreciate her willingness, though, to wear the brand, despite her displeasure for the co-host, Luke. That happens. You know, there's a lot of Luke fans in this audience. A lot of them. Right? I mean, they're the worst, but there's a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking, it's great. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep it going, Luke. Let's go over to Kevin. I probably went a little hard on the Black Friday shopping this year, but only for MK gear. As someone who has done BJJ Holy since shit. 2010, all I need now is a sweet MK rash guard. Dude, everybody wants an MK rash guard. Why, yeah, Luke? We, yeah, you know what? I was kind of, I was hating on the idea, but it's time. Like, RJ Dunkelfucker, it's time. I mean, they really want one. I thought we'd sell, like, one. But they're like, no, we want it. Anyway, uh, Kevin says, uh, before you guys say it, I'm not a Jan Sixer. I'm the Canadian donk that invited Luke to come stay with me and my cat in Canada amid the chaos that was happening down there in the U.S. Luke, do you remember this offer? No. All right. The cat is pictured with me in the second pick. Also, if there are as many P1s as people claim to be who send in submissions, MK would have the highest subscription count on YouTube. That's a fair point. We have a lot of fans 
But the rabid ones are small but intense, Luke, right? Those P1s? That's how it goes. The P1, not, the P1 group is not as big as people think it is, but it doesn't need to be because it's intensely loyal. Um, does this guy have any cable issues? Can we zoom in here? What do we got going on on the floor? I mean, he bought everything we own, right? He's got a bunch of shoes and uh, a carpeted house and uh, a cat that All looks right. like it's been hit in the head with a hammer. Oh, stop that. That's a cute That's a cute pussy right there. It's a there, cute Luke, cat. Okay? I'm just being a hater. But he's got a bunch yeah, of MK please. gear, so thank you for purchasing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's probably the only one he sees, but that's fine. I That's that's fine, Luke. Okay, shout out to Joseph from Canada. Love you, brother. Uh, let's go to the mustache dad. This is the day that the BBC visited the Three Needle Tattoo Shop. What does this mean, Luke? <laughs> I can't read that second one, Luke. Say, I think it says, Adesonia, because I read books. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that's a fair, that's an accurate snapshot of this show. I think J- Joseph has two more for us, correct? Okay, uh, that's a good one. That thumbs, thumbs up on that one. That's very fair. Very fair. Luke N., in the back there in the in the uh in the control room luke no says, more okay just thank you J- thank you jo- uh thank you uh joseph or i thought that was mustache dad no or is that joseph's second i don't know where we're at right now mustache dad's got something about the three needle tattoo shop here we go all right the last one was the guy before here's the mustache dad let's hear from him here House of Donks, Donks Welcome, 311. The 311 part is nice, I have to say. Yeah, I used to have that shirt in blue. Yeah, I used but to have they, a bunch of... So what are we thinking about today? Could do happen to your legs, Jesus Christ. I mean, I do have skinny legs for a guy who's nearly 6'2", I, I, Luke, but that's... I forget her name, but she was one of the, I think, finalists or winners of um, the... What's the Spike TV, or now it's Paramount Plus? Um, the Ink Show, the tattoo show. What's it called? What's it called? I don't know. I don't, uh, uh, Ink, Master. Ink Master. Ink Master. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Ink Master. Okay. Is there any more? Yeah, there's a third slide here. This old washed Roy Orbison midlife crisis <laughs> factory town crazy eyes having donk wants a butterfly <laughs> on his lower back. <laughs> Fuck my life. Oh, that is great. Yeah, BC, what do you yeah. think about the... Pull that picture up one more time. BC, what do you think about the tattoos on the knuckles? Hate them. Oh, hate that. Top of the uh, hand, knuckles, hate it. all that I, shit. I no. love top of the hand tattoos. No, I love no. them. No, 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 Luke. You know, I'm good with sleeves. I like a good tattoo on Titi when it makes a statement. Like, Luke, uh, I know. Did you do extra credit? You should have done extra credit on Ilya Taporia's chest Not yet, chest but it's going to come a little bit later. But yeah, go ahead. Dude, what do you think about Taporia? He's got, like, the lion with his own face coming I've, through the middle. I kind of like only that. ever I can only remember the top part here. I think it has, like, a number or, like, a letter. Maybe it's, like, the letter T or something. I've not yeah, really for looked his at last it name. close to tail. Yeah, it's got a P or, yeah, or T. I'm sorry, T for his last name. There we go. All right. Let's go to JP. This must be the guy from Mount Unike, Luke. He says, good day, MK crew and fans. Episode 378. Showtime executive Brian Daly messaged Luke in BC about doing a show from Newark, Penn Station. This is a true story. Now presenting RSD with John Jones and Joanna. Well, that's a dream lineup from Newark, Penn Station. Love you guys. Keep up the award-winning show. Dude, hold on. Look at this sign. Newark, Penn Station. Ebola, COVID, influenza, and this is the true part, and diseases they don't even have named. <laughs> 
By the way, this is the exact fucking platform. It's not the right train. That's the path train that takes you into Manhattan or other parts of New Jersey. But that's not the yeah. right train. But that is that on the. Uh, it's just on the other side of that platform where I always have to go. I like BC there. Did you know I'm from a factory town? Can you still make 115? I don't like you, Luke. So I'm not going to answer your question. And then the correct part. <laughs> Me with a stack of motherfucking vapes. If you did answer, that would require a donation to the Super Chat, which is Tukey Needs Rices. Oh, yeah. And by the way, Mikey hasn't had a hairline like that since the aughts. Right, Luke? Oh, he's been bald as a motherfucker since the day I met him. Yeah, great guy right there. Shout out to Brian Daly. Just the same. Uh, JP also says, Hot Ones featuring Luke Thomas with the bomb vape. Wash that down with some margaritas, AG1, and rain energy drink. Love you guys. Keep up the Dude, amazing award. This is, I mean, <laughs> let me just say something. This is mockery. No one understands me better than the MK audience. Can I just be then, totally honest about that? Then Jay Paquette, dude, he's in he's in your head right now. This dude, is great. The stacks of he dude, he not just got he he didn't get just the correct energy drink he got the correct flavor of the energy drink that i like with the ag1 with the four margaritas with the vape with the bomb i mean this Damn. is our hang this motherfucker in the louvre is what i'm gonna say right now. i mean dude between that and this badass piece of machinery right here luke i mean his wife's world tour jp's coming on right now he's taking everything uh appy's worked for but i will say this for david appleton He's got one in the hopper, Luke. That's fucking phenomenal. So, uh, okay, I haven't seen. Yeah, it. these these guys are uh, wow. These guys are unbelievable. But thank you, JP, for always being the man. Let's go to Danger Mouse. You remember that? Oh no, we got one more from JP. Sorry, let's see. What oh, he's got. very cool, very cool. Yes, yes, cool. box to cool. box. Wow, Luke, you are so young in that photo. That was just three years ago. I looked at a picture of myself like maybe a month before my kid was born. And yeah. it's barely recognizable. Yeah, yeah dude. I showed a picture point, of my yeah. kid from like I was. Or I showed a picture to Tuki from I was like 2015, 2016, something like that. And I showed it to her, and she looked at my hair, and she goes, "Why is it white?" That's exactly what she said. Why is it white? Um, yeah. And I didn't have a great answer for. Her. I'm like, Dad's a I'll fucking this, washed piece of shit. Dude, if you looked at pictures of me for the first three years that my twins were after they were born, so it's like 28, 2008 to 2011, dude. Even though I was like. 30 32 back then i looked old as shit dude that ages you like i you know that was like the first time the grays were just making a huge run and i was you know working nights drinking energy drinks just fat luke you know dude i haven't told you this but i finally committed i'm I'm not committed hold on i'm not committed to taking trt just yet because i have some of the symptoms that you would like make you a good candidate but i have some that are would not you know so I'm going to get the blood test, but I, this is what I want to tell you. I'm going to get a full array of blood work done to see if I'm a good candidate, and I think I'm ready. To, I think I might be ready. If the blood test comes back where I'm not in that normal range and I actually am a good candidate, I think I'm ready to pull the trigger. I think I am. I think I finally am. All right. All right. All right. I, I'm going to hold you to it, Luke, because I want to see you change. All I've right. been going through my own little health turn of late, Luke. I've made a big change, too. We'll talk about it another time, but I've been working out every day, Luke. Maybe, maybe oh, something's coming here. Maybe good, something's good. happening. Now, Jose, right? they're telling us the next ones are from Danger Mouse, but the pictures are mislabeled as JP, so just heads up. Oh, that. yeah. Wow. Would the jury please? Uh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here's Danger Mouse saying, Hi, BC. The theme this week is ads. 
more accurately your approach to them. Let's start with the boardroom meeting. So this is not from JP. This is from Danger Mouse. Luke, what does it say? We need advertisers on MK. How do we encourage them? Next one. Me. Verbatim ad reads. And then someone says scripted skits. And then there's you saying, I'll just freestyle and say whatever bullshit comes to mind. And then they chuck you out the fucking window. <laughs> uh, and, and now the results of that meeting. Um, yes. Uh... I, I will read advertisements verbatim. And there's a picture of me in the, on the school. Uh, finally, Danger Mouse says, I had to do something to celebrate Aaron winning Hammer of the Month. Artist note, Danger Mouse does not endorse this product and advises financial re- responsibility to all viewers unless Moneyline wants to pay him too. Wow. Again, that's a, once that's... again, you have you have Jake Von Amsterdam. You have Tristan the Serial Killer all right there. <laughs> and BC, I just want to point out another vape. I cannot tell you how much <laughs> vaping has added to this show. It really is. Yo. I Just want Danger remarkable. Mouse to get the requisite love and put his put some respect back on his name. This is well done. Wearing hammer pants, do, uh, dancing to uh, Aaron holding the hammer. I mean, that's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. Luke, we should get Aaron on the RSD couch. We should. We should. Yeah. Damn right we should. All right. Let's keep this fun train going. Thank you, Danger Mouse. Oh, by the way, did you see Tristan? Luke, he finished the, uh, the connectivity, the connective tissue yeah, between all those scary animals on his arm. He put yeah. like trees and shit. Yeah, yeah and man. he did it. He thugged out too. He didn't do it with any uh, numbing cream. He did it the old school no. way, which is not yeah. Fun. He would, he would give birth to a baby without any drugs. I know him. I know that man. You know what I'm saying? Just have it at home in the tub. Yeah, you know yeah, like a real man would, right? Like Arnold would. Yeah. All right, let's go to David Appleton. Hi, guy. This is so the thing I said about Appy Luke. He's got something I think for next week that I've already previewed. Let's see what he's got this week. Hi, guys. Who said investigative MMA media was dead? I have uncovered a major scandal at MK, and no, it's not the ridiculously tight t-shirt RJ Titty Fiddler sent me. (laughs) I can't say any more. Just watch the video. Cheers, your local British Frenchman, David Appleton. Okay, guys. Donk of the Year is a fix. You heard it here first. Someone high up in the MK production team froze me out. Uh, It was ever since I sent a meme about the controversial The MK The Basketball Challenge. Um, Anyway, he's cancelled me. Nothing's got through ever since. Since then, he's had some big ideas. He's named Adelaide Bird to judge the Donk of the Year Award. They hold regular meetings at the Glory MMA Gym. The idea is that everyone bets on old, washed Danger Mouse and his unfunny memes, or on JP, who's been giving out presents to Luke and Brian like he's the president of the Qatari World Cup Football Committee. Anyway, at the last minute, he's going to bring back Damien the Donk from nowhere. They've injected his ball bag with fluorescent MK letters, and he's going to rake in all the money. Anyway, I've said too much. I'm too dangerous. I've got to get out of here, boys. Anyway, thanks to a loyal gain ad read on MK, I've got myself some property in a country that I can't name. They'll never find Laird Appy. Anyway, guys, 37 words. We out. Dude, I hadn't seen that one yet. Damn, that's funny. Oh my god. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. What did it say on the on the mirror? I couldn't make that out in time. Go back. Can they, can they still shot it? I couldn't quite get it either. But I didn't really need it for the whole joke bit. Dude, Appy's on the run, not because of us, Luke. That's because of all the students. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I would flee the country as well, if, you know. Oh, dude, uh, okay. it says it says Mikey done it, so he's Mikey blaming. A, oh, oh, you know. oh, 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 I mean, look, there oh, have he, been a few oh, because times. Here's the thing: he'll send in questionable fan subs that we can't quite air, and yeah. Mikey is doing quality control, which he has to do. That's his job, and then he blames Mikey for not airing it. Well, Appy. You know, tone down the fucking uh, Pepe Le Pew bit a little bit there, guy. <laughs> well, to be fair to um, JP, he also gets censored a bit, but he does come back and make uh, adjustments based on the suggestions. Yes, we do have some class and standards, but Appy, that was great. Look, this ra- I mean, this race is like um, Gore I know, versus... I don't know. JP is... He's, he's killing the competition. Gore versus that. Bush in 2000. Look, I don't know. If you see this video that Mikey showed me that of... Uh, of Appy, you may lose your shit, but uh, this is like Gore Bush all over again, Luke. Is it? <laughs> I mean, you know, you ever seen Gore, a Gory Bush before, Luke? Okay, you had to just be gross. I mean, you're the worst human on earth. Um, let's go to Alan W. Looks like the donks have vape shamed Luke enough to quit. Personally, I think True. it's a bad idea, as God knows Luke is a cantankerous wash bastard, and without the nicotine raising the dopamine levels, I'm worried for BC's health and safety for his lower tolerance for his vexation. This is here is the last. Here's the last ode. Hold on a second. Hi, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm here today because I'm addicted to vaping. And this person goes, you're in here for vaping. Man, this is some bullshit. And then BC says, vaping is not an addiction. I used to S the D for hot dogs. (laughs) You ever S the D for a vape? Boo this man. So that's that fantastic Bob Saget scene from Half Baked. And Luke, the guy right there on the right, the African-American guy, that's David from Real World Season 2 Los Angeles. Yes. Remember he, yes. he he got in trouble for like doing that shit to Tammy who went on to marry Kenny Anderson of the Celtics? Yeah, wow. Yes. What is, yeah. yeah, back when the real world was kind of like a different and semi-interesting show. True story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so this guy also says, in episode 280, Luke and B.C., had a lover's quarrel. And ever since then, there seems to be cracks in the relationship. This is true. From Luke's microaggressions to... true. And career existential quips to BC's depressed eyes and less vibrant attitude. Is this the beginning of the end? God knows us donks wouldn't be able to handle it, especially JP. Hopefully I'm wrong. Luke, BC is the yin to your yang, the peanut butter to your jelly, your brothers. And with Chuck, Rashad, Aaron, and others, you're a band of brothers. Here's some fan art to tribute one of the best shows in television history, The Band of Brothers. Luke, what do you make of this meme from Alan? The donks depended on them. They depended on each other. Uh, I think it's funny, although the people thinking that there's some kind of rift is a little silly. BC, it does get back to another point semi-related to this, which is I cannot believe you have not seen Black Hawk Down. I cannot believe that. I cannot believe... That would that would dramatically alter your ranking of top military movies. Like it would, it would I, change okay. a lot. Okay, with you saying that, I'd be willing to try that now. Okay, because I mean, is it better than the Deer Hunter? No, there are no chance, right? No, Luke? probably not better than Deer Hunter. No, that's a very good movie, but it's legit. It's very because is it legit. better than Glory? Glory is amazing. See, the Glory had the slavery angle, and it had better yes. actors. But as, had, like a, oh but as my like a Lord. military forward movie, it's much better. Okay. It's very interesting. Also, also it's, like based on, it's based Locker. on a thing that happened. Like, obviously, the Civil War happened, but I mean, um, a very particular incident that happened. 
right. All right. Uh, who who am I supposed to be on the right there in that in that fat body, Luke? You know, just some Gomer pile, just some piece yeah. of shit. Just piece of shit. All right, let's wrap this up. Here's Omi Rose. He says, "I for one know I'd watch this version of Billy Madison Gadoosh his final." Everyone is now dumber speech. Thanks for making our week bearable as the two-time award-winning MMA podcast, you two old bags filled with mayonnaise looking spaces of nothing. Wow, Omi Rose, that's something there. Rizzuto, Raruto, yeah, yeah. Let's turn to page 69 of your reading books. Oh, that is... That is spectacular. That is boy. These are. I'm telling you, dude. No one. The audit. No one knows me quite like the audience of this show. I really will say. Yes. Yes. They. They just. They know. They know how to get me. They know how to get me, and I can't do anything about it. I'm at their mercy. You so. can't. You don't have the self awareness to do anything about it, Luke. They know you though. Let's go to Jason. Oh, he says, "What's Jesus. up, Jay from Boston?" Dude, we've, here. we've gone on so long that I now have to switch earphones because this thing fucking died on me. I mean, we. You know, we maximize the whole, Luke. We give them the full Monty. Uh, I think we've Jason, been on the air too long. Jay from Boston says, just one for you today. I had the, to meme the classic scene from Billy Madison to say to LT, be nicer to young Raul Rosas Jr. He's just a kid. I don't get this scene. Uh, this was the scene at the first grade birthday party when his fat friend, fat drunk friend was just hitting that kid in the face a million times with the uh, hose and the kid's like, I don't even know you. Stop it. I don't even know you. And the guy's just laughing as he's doing it, Luke. All he's right, can saying, we end the show? Are we done with the show yet? Wow. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. Uh, you know, let's get, let's get to bed. I mean, before, this is two uh, shows in a row well over two hours. Very unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. Very you, unnecessary. You, you were fun until you saw what time it was, Luke. That usually happens. But we've got one more to close. This is from right. C.G. Lund. Who the hell is C.G. Lunds? I don't know. Probably you some big this- joke. Can you blow it up? Is there a caption? I don't get it. There's no caption. It's just a picture, Luke. Your thoughts. All right. Well, Mikey didn't do very much quality control. Let's just be honest. Uh, <laughs> Mikey's like, oh, I'm going to put this one in of random fast food and then you two. That's... Yeah, not the way to close with a bang, but th- those are <laughs> our fan subs of the week. Morning combat at gmail.com dead wrongs on friday thank you hey let's remind everyone while we have time of course there's the email to reach the show for friday's dead wrong which reports are going to be is going to be another very long one that's going to be in play but also but also showtime.com now new customers only terms apply but 30 day free trial if you like it you can keep it and if you do you can get six months for 399 pretty great you can catch the boxing this weekend and everything else that will happen uh, including by the way bellator versus ryzen on new year's eve day um in addition to that, and of course, Rivera versus Martin this weekend. In addition to that, of course, uh, the, the store, morningcombat.store, for all the merch. You can get 15% off with think the promo code back-to-back, I believe is correct. Yep, there it is. You can see it on the screen. Back, and by the way, if you're listening on the audio podcast, it's back, the number two, and then back, all one word, back-to-back. And then BC, lastly, one more time. We're going to keep you know promoting it, obviously, the entire time. But February 8th. Folks, in the UK, in London, come join us for a live show. Get your tickets now, February 8th at the King's Place in London, England. Yes. It's in the King's Cross section of London. 8 p.m. doors open, as Luke said. You can hit that QR code on the screen and buy your tickets right now. I believe this is a 500-seat-ish venue, but Luke, we plan to sell 
that shit out. Isn't that random? That one episode like a year ago, I was like, you know, I got this vision that one day we're going to do a live show in England in front of 5,000 fans. Now, look, we won't meet the 5K here, but um, this is wild just the same. So this is uh, from the great folks at the Sports Podcast Group. This is their first annual podcast festival called Pod Live. Uh, us and I believe four other podcasts that were also award winners uh, last this year will be the headlining act. So uh, it'll be a live show. It'll be fun. We'll have special combat guests. Hopefully, Appy will, will make the visit as long as, Luke, he's not wanted in multiple countries. Yeah, I mean, that seems like he's destined for uh, jail, but, you know, hopefully he can join us just the same before Interpol grabs him at the yeah. airport. You know what I'm saying? Like, if Carmen San Diego was real, Appy would have molested her, right? Okay, all right. On that note, we should probably call it a day. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's okay. it. All right, so let's uh, remind everyone, back Friday, back <laughs> Friday. If you haven't already caught it, BC had his second live chat yesterday. You can go and check that out, <laughs> youtube.com slash morningcombat. We will see you folks on Friday in the UK. We can't wait to see you there on February 8th. So for Showtime, Mulka, CBS Sports, Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Catch you guys on Friday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.